Welcome. Good morning, New York sports fans. I'm Danielle McCartan. McCartan after midnight. I'll be talking all things New York sports with you till 6 a.m. on this early Sunday morning or late Saturday night. If you're still out and about in the city that never sleeps, there were a lot of people out tonight, actually. And on the West Side Highway, who knew? I never knew. I looked to the right. I saw people playing a, a, an intense basketball game. So good for them. Maybe they're tuning in on their way home. I saw you guys. Or maybe you're just plain old working on a weekend like usual. Hey, me and Nick are too. We're coming to you live from the Mike Francesa studio here in Lower Manhattan. You guys know that number, 877-337-6666. And let's load them up with your best content only, please, as always. And thank you in advance. Special guest tonight, coming up in the 4 a.m. hour, will be the good friend of the show, reporter, producer, and podcast host extraordinaire for the New York Football Giants. Also the Knicks, too, here on the fan, John Schmelk. So, like like last week, we had Connie Carberg on. She was for Jets fans last week. Got a total breakdown of the Jets draft plans. This, tonight, at 4, probably 40, is going to be a can't-miss segment for Giants fans. So, if you wanted to close your eyes for a little bit, set your alarm, 440, John Schmel coming up. We are going to evaluate the Giants' off-season acquisitions and see how they will impact, and we will formulate a 2021 NFL draft plan for Big Blue. anyone that can save the Yankees from this hellish April? Demi Lovato, the answer to your question seems to be a resounding N-O. No, the Yankees, the supposed supermen of all things offensively are again playing in a series against their kryptonite. And yeah, while it's cute to use this analogy, the fact of the matter is this. If the Rays are the team to beat, which they should eventually be as reigning American League champions. The Yankees have not made any movement in improving upon their terrible performance against them last year, collectively. So far, the Yankees are 1-4 against the Rays in this, this 2021 season. In those games, Tampa Bay has outscored the Yankees 32-18. to This is not rocket science. This is just not going to get it done. And furthermore, the Yankees have lost four of their possible five series this season. Even if they win later today with Garrett Cole, they have already lost the series versus the Rays. In fact, the only series that they've won was against, guess who? The Baltimore Orioles, who most prognosticators had pegged as the worst team in the league. And it was not a sweep, by the way. And don't look now. But the Yankees are looking up at the Orioles in the AL East standings. In fact, the Yankees are looking up at every single team in the AL AL East from the literal bottom of the standings in the division. Or should I say fifth place? Does that make you feel any better? Too bad I am not in the business, like Aaron Boone seems to be, of making anyone feel any better about the Yankees and their terrible, no good, very bad start to the season. Boone apparently ripped the team after Friday night's embarrassing loss, and it's about time. Giancarlo Stanton said he was obviously very upset, and rightfully so. Stanton, on Saturday, 0 for 4, three strikeouts. Clint Frazier said, we need to come ready to go on Saturday. That was the message that I took from it. 
poor Clint Frazier wasn't even in the lineup. Clearly, Boone's tirade, which lasted a few minutes, did nothing to change the outcome, with the Yankees dropping yet another one to the Rays, of all teams, 6-3. This team, like we talked about last week, still has no spark, never mind a fire. Boone in Saturday's postgame said, I feel like we are much more in the fight today. We need to play better, obviously. But today was a step in the right direction. Really, Aaron Boone? Well, I guess any game is better than what your team showed Friday night. But I don't know if you saw this. But on the season, your team hits 160. That's the batting average. 160 with runners in scoring position. In Saturday's game, 143, Aaron Boone. One for seven, that is. With seven runners stranded. Can anyone... Please tell me anyone that could point out how Saturday's game was a step in the right direction. So what's the problem? Well, I asked you guys, and while my tweet, at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N, by the way, on Twitter, got 2,000 impressions, it got exactly zero votes. Twitter was glitching Friday night, but it did get many replies, and that's why I didn't repost it. Most of the replies asked, where is the all of the above option? I know it's all of the above, but I was looking to see where the vast majority of fans were allocating the blame. So maybe you can call up and answer me tonight. Instead, I asked, in effect, why is this team so infuriating to watch throughout the month of April? I then identified the top three Yankee team trends that that I see anyway. A, so, so I guess which is most infuriating? That's the question. Which is most infuriating? A, sleepwalking at the plate. B, Little League errors, or C, they had used, at that point, three pitchers through five innings. Here's what I think, and it goes deeper than that, and it incorporates a little bit of psychology. But, in essence, it boils down to this, which I think will be one of the main themes of the season. And keep an eye on it for the postseason if the Yankees do, in fact, get there. Ready for this? Did a little my own little research today in the Yankees' nine losses so far this season. I thought this would be a trend, and I went and I looked. In the Yankees' nine losses this season, their opponents have put up the first runs of the game seven times, which means that in the games that the Yankees ultimately lost, they were playing from behind early on in 77% of the games. You ask, okay, what about the other two times? Well, the one... The Yankees jumped out to a 1-0 lead ahead of the Orioles in the bottom of the third. And Baltimore came back in the very next frame and put up two runs and got ahead and won. And then the other game, the Yankees jumped out to a 1-0 lead on the Blue Jays in the top of, I think it was the first. The lead was gone by the bottom of the second. Now, if you compare that to the games that the Yankees have won, They've jumped out to a lead 60% of the time and ultimately continued on to win the game. So what does that tell me? Maybe you didn't get it. What does it tell me? What does it tell you? It tells us that this team is built to take the lead and a majority of the time never let it go. Now, how can they do that on a consistent basis? I've got two solutions. One, reconfigure the batting order for the love of God. Gio Urshela, batting eighth, hit a 453-foot home run last Sunday after I got off the air with you guys. 
in their win versus Tampa Bay. The following day, he was moved up by the brain trust to the five spot. Went 0 for 3 with a walk against Toronto. That was the beginning of the end for his demotion back to, in Saturday's game, the eight hole. Meanwhile, seeing H-I-C-K-S next to the number three every single day makes me want to lose my lunch. Eight for 46, Aaron Hicks is. We talked about my ideal lineup last week live on air. I'll send it out to you again because the Yankees clearly haven't seen it yet. And the other thing is starting pitching. Let's take out a calendar and calculate how many games Garrett Cole has left this season. Those are the W's. The rest of the wins, well, there isn't a pitcher on this roster that can, can consistently deliver them. That's for sure. Not yet anyway. Both of those pieces are controlled by Geppetto, Brian Cashman, who has not pulled the strings correctly recently. Instead of turning the Yankee Pinocchio into a real boy, it's become a real disaster, honestly. It just so happened, or I just so happened to notice, during Friday's game, Cashman was trending on Twitter across the entire United States. The one guy at Jim, and then there was a bunch of numbers, he said, Cashman was given a $200 million payroll, and he doesn't have a backup shortstop or a fifth starter. How is that possible? He asked. So I started thinking critically myself. Instead of signing Masahiro Tanaka and revamping the starting rotation after that, Cashman opted to let him go and to sign Corey Kluber and Jameson Tyone, both of whom, as we've talked about, had significant injury concerns and big question marks coming into the season. A huge gamble on the number two and number three starters, as of right now, does not look like it's paying off. The team has hit 15 home runs through the first 14 games. Not what you want to see from a team that's constructed to hit home runs. Left-handed bats? Where are they? Brian Cashman, in the same postseason presser uh, in 2019, he said, The balance in the lineup is vitally important, but not at the expense, from my perspective, of the best player on the board, especially if those players possess the ability to go the other way with power. Well, here we are. Clint Frazier is benched for Brett Gardner. Aaron Hicks is nailed into that three spot. I can't watch it anymore. Why? Because they're like a bat lefty? And the defense. The Yankees at this very moment are ranked fifth in the league with 11 errors. Sticking Glaber Torres out there at shortstop instead of luring D.D. Gregorius back was also a mistake. This backup first baseman plan is ridiculous. Mike Ford, by the way, for those of you guys asking, Mike Ford is still two days away from eligibility to come back from the alternate site. And where has Derek Diedrich been? Why is he a guy in his ninth MLB season banished to the alternate site? No one is even talking about him. I don't, I don't think so, other than my program here. He's got some spark. He's got some fire. And he also just happens to have a fielding percentage at first base of, oh, I don't know, 989 in 88 games. But all of the Yankees' roster moves are handcuffed by Brian Cashman's acquisition of Giancarlo Stanton years ago. This year, he's a $29 million designated hitter. The player who I am on the record 
I'm one of the only ones on the record saying that the Yankees did not need him to begin with. All I'm saying is this. The general manager of the New York Yankees is unlike a Supreme Court justice. There is an expiry date. This is not a lifetime position. At what point do the Yankees decide to head in a different direction? And you might counter my point of view with, well, the Yankees also started 5-8 and eight in 2019, finished 103-59. and 59. To that, I rebut, so what? For a team with World Series aspirations every single year, losing to the Astros in the ALCS that season is a failure, no matter how many wins that they accumulated in the regular season. While watching his postseason press conference, that same one in 2019, I remembered scratching my head when Brian Cashman said, we failed in our final game, but it was not a failed season. Really? It's actually been a failed decade plus. With a pay, And that, again, is for a team that has World Series expectations pretty much every year. And with a payroll that is in the upper echelon of the league every year, year after year, there, haven't, there hasn't been a proportionate number of ticker tape parades down the Canyon of Heroes right down here since 2009. Remember, annual World Series expectations. I guess the good news is that it's cold day later today. And with every Yankees loss, mounts an increasing amount of pressure on Garrett Cole to win every single time he takes the mound. That, as I've mentioned before, is not sustainable. And how about the Mets? Landing in that literal blizzard in Colorado, 11.30 p.m. Thursday night. In Marcus Stroman's Instagram story, Kevin Pillar asks, What are we, the Green Bay Packers? I got 99 pounds, but a ain't one. Hit me! Oh. Mets. Mets might have 99 problems, but a pitch ain't one for Jacob deGrom. With exactly 99 pitches, 67 for strikes, Saturday afternoon from Jacob deGrom, and in front of the many Mets fans at Coors Field, they have actually broken the deGrom curse. The Mets came from behind to take the lead with four straight base hits and with Edwin Diaz striking out the side in the last frame. Don't look now. After that first game of the Saturday evening night doubleheader, the Mets were on pace to finish, by the way, 108 in 54. <laughs> I know it's really early, but if only if all of the games were seven innings. Listen, the Mets lost the second one, but I don't know if many people even really care about that. Jacob deGrom got his win. And actually, wait, the Mets have a few more seven inning games coming on because they played a league low. Nine games. Following the announcement of the Rockies series opener because of the snowstorm, the Mets team Twitter posted a pretty good one. The people or person running it deserves a little bit of a bonus here. The tweet was, it said Washington, and then it had the face with the the mask emoji. Then it had the word Philadelphia and the rain emoji, and Colorado and the snowflake emoji. And then they wrote, some teams will try anything to avoid facing DeGrom. With the eye roll emoji. Well, he was rained out of his start on Thursday, snowed out of his start on Friday, and finally took them out in game one Saturday evening. On a full week's rest, Jacob deGrom did Jacob deGrom things, getting his first win of the season. 14 strikeouts in his second straight game, six innings pitched, three hits, three runs, although zero were earned. And last week I questioned whether or not Jacob deGrom reached his boiling point After this comment, after the game last Saturday night, he said, it's a team effort. We had a tough matchup today. We just got beat. 
Well, after a Daza sack fly in the fifth, DeGrom screamed into his glove, then gave up a home run to the very next batter, Tapia. I'll look into the dugout, and DeGrom looked straight ahead, silent and scary. Hitting 571 on the season, I was eating my dinner and thinking that Jacob DeGrom was probably looking at the lineup whiteboard and seeing McCann, himself, and Nimmo. I tweeted, you know Jake is saying, and probably out loud right now, keep me in there and let me do it myself. Well, Rojas didn't. But in fact, it is a team effort. McCann singled, and Almora pinch ran for him. Villar pinch hit for DeGrom, hit an RBI double. Nimmo singled. Lindor hit an RBI single. And just like that, the Mets took the lead for good. In the type of baseball that I like to see and watch, DeGrom notched his first win of the season. The Mets popped champagne in the clubhouse after the game. Just kidding. But I'm sure that they would if they could. What a gigantic relief to finally be able to stop pressing at the plate when their ace is on the mound. And speaking of the Mets, have you yet had a chance to read the article published in The Athletic on Friday afternoon? It's a sickening article, really, entitled, I've Barely Hit on You, Inside a Mets Culture Rotten Beyond Mickey Calloway and Jared Porter. Written by Katie Strang and Brittany, uh, in Italian, it's Giroli. Probably Giroli, she probably pronounces it. And Ken Rosenthal was also a contributor. So, yes, there are more corroborated by The Athletic disgusting allegations of a toxic workplace environment in Queens. None of which, though, happened under new St- the new owner, Steve Cohen. Except the fact that Sandy Alderson rehired one of the most staunchly accused offenders, Mets Chief Marketing, Content, and Communication Officer, Dave Newman, who worked for the team from 2005 to 2018. Among many other things, a woman actually won a discrimination lawsuit for an undisclosed amount in 2015 after she sued the team for having workplace issues with Newman during and after her pregnancy. And we could talk more in detail about this, but most concerning is what Sandy Alderson said about the entire situation. These are quotes. Well, sort of. He said Newman's behavior was unacceptable, but he believes in second chances, and he vowed to tell Newman to, quote, knock it off. Newman's hiring was announced later that day. B, he said, let me try to make this a point as strongly as I can, okay? Not every instance involving men, women in the workplace is a capital offense, okay? Every time something happens, it doesn't mean someone has to be fired. People are getting executed, including women, by the way, for reasons that are, this is a crazy word he used, but he used the word unjustifiable. And C, he asks, is there ever a statute of limitations on the coverage of some of this stuff? Uh, what? When Steve Cohen brought Alderson back as team president last November, Cohen remarked that he and Alderson shared a philosophy for building the team, quote, the right way. Did that just mean the on-field product, or did it represent the -the behind-the-scenes culture shift, too? Based on Alderson's comments on the matter, my vote is just for the on-field product. If this is the kind of environment that Alderson is fostering again, then maybe he should just step aside too. Steve Cohen, it's your move. And maybe on the off chance that either you or Sandy Alderson is listening tonight, please give me a call. I have a few questions for you guys. Other than that, lots to do tonight, lots to get to. I have set the table for you guys. It is time to eat your two 23 a.m. snacks. Can't wait to talk with you guys. 877-337-6666. I'm Danielle McCartan. After midnight on the fan in New York City.
This is John Sterling. Listen to Yankees Rays Baseball today on The Fan at 105 with Yankees pregame at 1225 driven by Jeep. The game can be heard in its entirety on Sports Radio 66 WFAN AM and streaming on WFAN.com. Now we'll join the Nets and Miami Heat at 320 on Sports Radio 1019 FM and streaming on WFAN2.com. Love the Jay-Z theme tonight, everybody. I'm Danielle McCart with you on the fan till 6 in the morning, everybody. And, you know, the Open was a lot about the New York Yankees and the New York Mets. But don't forget, we have two, if the season ended today, two playoff-bound NBA teams in town as well. Uh, if you look at the standings, the I was going to say the New Jersey. Uh, I'm used to that, everybody. The Brooklyn Nets, I'm sorry, the Brooklyn Nets are uh, the second Team in the East. I'm just trying to check out the winning percentages here just to see where they stand in the entire NBA. They've got the six, seven, nine, one, two, three. They have the fourth best. The, the Brooklyn Nets have the fourth best winning percentage um, in the league, despite their big three pretty much never seeing the court together. Um, so that's interesting. I'd be interested to see how the, they all come together and mesh and gel, right? Isn't that the whole idea? It's got to happen sooner rather than later. It's getting real close. And then if you look down just a little bit, uh, the Nets are at two in the Eastern Conference. And if the season ended today, the Knicks would have the sixth seed in the playoffs. And they'd make it because, again, the, the structure is the top 10 teams in each conference advance to the playoffs. However, though, the teams that are seeded 7, 8, 9, and 10, they have a play-in tournament to get to that playoff scenario so the Knicks at six they're in and the Nets at two they're also in and the Brooklyn Nets have a 99.9 percent chance to make the playoffs the Knicks have a I'm going to round up 55 percent chance to make the playoffs and if you look around it looks like according to these projections which are always crazy looks like we're going to have a Utah Jazz Brooklyn Nets NBA Finals and, before, and way on early in the season, I might have mentioned it on here once or twice, I put $10 on the Nets to win the championship. At, I think they were like plus 1,000 odds. Yeah, I think there was plus 1,000. So I'll win 100 bucks. So let's go Nets. All right, in the order that you guys called, of course, Mark in Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey, my neck of the woods. You're leading us off tonight, Mark. What's up? Thank you for having me on. Of course. Um, I had a question about the Knicks, mm-hmm. uh, your opinion, of course. Do you think they can hold that sixth seed and not have to be forced into that playoff tournament? Ah, the Hornets are slipping. I, it's going to be close. It's going to be really, really close. The Heat, they're, on, they're two games behind them, but they're on a losing streak of three games. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, when it's all said and done, it's going to be. I think it's going to come to like the last game of the season. I do think the Knicks are going to hang on to the number six. I do. Sweet. Yeah, or maybe even five. We'll see what happens, but um, I do. I agree. I think the Hornets will drop too. Yeah, I mean they're on a four-game losing streak. I think we're already seeing it. You know, we're already seeing the drop off by the Hornets, especially after the ball injury. It's like, okay, when was it going to happen? And and mm-hmm. it is happening. So I think that would be their biggest threat. Um, the, don't count the Pacers out though. But ultimately, like I said, I think the Knicks are going to get in either as the five or the six seed. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course, Mark.
and Julius Randle. Oh my God. What we talked about it a little bit here on the show. Julius Randle, what he has meant to that team is just, it's just astounding how, and, and we talk about it all the time, how a coach can unlock the potential of a player, even a seasoned NBA vet. What can happen? And then I always think of Sam Darnold in this instance, too. All right, back into the order that you guys called. Kevin in Camden, you're batting second tonight. What's up? What's up, Coach? Well, just I doing want, a show here, Kevin. <laughs> What's up? I want to talk about the Yankees because I, I got a lot of gripes here. Tell me. All right, I'm done with Stanton and Hicks, all right? All right. Hicks batting 174. 174. And he's batting the three-hole. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't. And then John Carlo, 167. Okay? One, and he's under contract to 2029. Yeah, all right. 2029. Mm-hmm. Where are you going to be I, in 2029? I, I don't even know where uh, I'm going to be. I, Stanton's going to be in the Bronx, though. We're in the pinstripes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nobody's going to take it. And one thing, Aaron, I, I can't. All right? I've tried to be patient with this guy. But he, every post game is the same thing. He doesn't sound upset. He's like, ah, it's nonchalant. Who's that? Like, Aaron Boone, right? Yeah, yeah. He doesn't yeah. sound upset one bit. Yep. Like, it's the, the same tone. There is no anger. There's no. The only time I saw him mad was when that one time when he was talking about the savages in the box. That was the one time. The only time I got to see the man upset. And, you know, there, there's a quote, Kevin, and I used it in one of my, my speeches at the end of the, one of the, you know, the banquet dinners in high school, you know, and mm-hmm. I said it sort of like a joke, but I kind of sort of meant it. You know, I, I was complimenting my team and how they never give up, the whole thing, right? And I said, mm-hmm. you know, there's a quote, I forget who said it, maybe you guys can tweet it to me if, if you find it, but the players always seem to take on the, the, um, the personality of the coach. And I think that's the problem. I think basically yes. how relaxed he is, that they're just, ah, like, it's, it's early. Why not? Just, it's early. I think that's the problem. You asked me what the problem was? I think that's it. Mm-hmm. They, need, they need to get rid of him. Because I tell you what, I miss Girardi. Yeah. I, yep. I personally yep. do. I really do. And yeah. I got to say, the, the yeah, Yankees, were you paying attention to the Mets game? Because in the, I, I forget, it was the first inning or second. But I think uh, Nemo bunted for a hit. Mm-hmm. Oh, did he get out? Yeah, it was a sacrifice. He moved the runners over to second and third. And and Luis Rojas was asked about that, by the way. Did he get the sign or did he decide to do it on his own? And Rojas, guess what he said? Brandon Nimmo is one of the best hitters on the planet right now. He does what he wants. Look at that. He's not up there swinging for the fences. He's bunting. But hey, Yankees, take note because you could, it's called small ball Yankees. It's a foreign concept for you. But I'm not just try to think about that, would you? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's infuriating. And, and I, and I was watching the Yankees game earlier, and I was I was in a Twitter chat with some fans, and they they're okay with losing. Since when is it? Oh, it's okay to lose. Like this is not Philadelphia, all right? We are New York. When is the last time New Yorkers are okay with losing? Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but I, I it's just this team is and ah, oh, just a lot of. Uh, I'm just in a mood tonight with this. I just can't take it no more. Yeah, it's frustrating. I, I, I can't. I can't do this. Every time, uh, every time they tweet out the lineup and you see Aaron Hicks in, in, it's, it's in the, the same three. thing. In some, I, and I, I guarantee on. you, I guarantee you, it's gonna be tomorrow too. You watch. Yeah. What, or, is, or what do the analytics say about that, Kevin? Keep keep Aaron Hicks in the three spot and John Carlos Stanton in the four. On the off chance he runs into one, come on. Yeah, but I'm I'm, I'm done. I just I I hope they will turn it around, but I, I I don't see it with this manager. I don't see it, and I I, I hope they do, but Boom Boom's gotta go. 
I'm, I'm sorry. Boone has got to go. The whole team is just slumping. Yeah, it, it, Kevin. Uh, uh, yeah, thanks for the thanks for the call there, Kevin. You're welcome, you're welcome Coach. The hitting and listen too. It, there's plenty of blame to go around, right? I, I implicated Cashman a little bit on in the open. Of course, there's a little blame to go around on Aaron Boone as well because you know what? Marching out these lineups. I said it last week. I'll say it again this week. Marching out these lineups. This, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. The Yankees are doing the same thing over and over, and look at lo and behold, they're not really getting much different results. Okay, that's that's the other thing. So, and Kevin, he, Kevin, you brought something up that I, that I definitely wanted to touch on tonight too. These vanilla post game press conferences were, were, you know, have you know, I haven't been able to find the, the beginnings of them anymore. All I'm getting is the snippets now, where he gets on the mic and he's <clears throat> he says, <clears throat> "I think we played a great game today. There were some great, great. What do you mean great?" Your three-hitter and your four-hitter are hitting under 200. What is great about that, let me ask you? He says late on Saturday, he says, oh, we improved. Really? You improved? You're, you're hitting with runners in scoring position declined by, by two hundredths of a point uh, in the batting order, that is, in the, in the batting average. How is that an improvement? I, I don't know if we're watching the same game here. And yeah, the teams take on the personality of their manager, of, of their coach. I, I staunchly believe that. And I've been on, I, I see it as a coach, not so much as a player, but I saw it as a coach. And so I just feel like this whole thing of like, oh, well, you know, uh, you know, we, we've got a good offense. It'll heat up. We'll be all right. We've got talented players. I hate to say this. You're gonna miss Gary Sanchez, aren't you? When he when he when he sits out for a couple games with, why is he putting? I can't. He, he has his hand uh, going over his leg, and he gets a foul ball off his middle and, and index finger. I mean, come on! And you're gonna actually miss Gary Sanchez's bat. He's been playing fine, fine enough. So there, there's a lot of blame to go around, and of course the players have to play. Players have to hit. But man, how about an outfield combination? If you can't, if you're still married with with Brett Gardner, you can't divorce him. How about this: Frazier in left, Gardner in center, and Judge in right. How about that lineup for tomorrow or later today? How about that? Kevin in Copeg, you're up next on the fan. It's Henry Rowan Gardner. The Mets are headed to the Windy City. <laughs> All right, what's up, Kevin? Maybe Joe, maybe Joe Torre should manage the Yanks this weekend against the Braves. There's some history there. Yeah, well, that's not allowed. How old is he this day? How, how old is Joe Torre? I don't know, but he's he's on the MLB front office. There's no way he can do it. He's no, got, no, just he's, the World he's, Series. He's, he's what was it, 96 and, uh, 96 and what year was that? I don't know. 96, 98, 99, 2000. Take your pick. They played the Braves, though, right? Two times in the World Series? Uh, Yeah, was it twice? I mean, I was like eight years old at that time, but yeah. So I'm a Mets fan, but my criticism of the Yankees are I just I just find them boring. They're they're preppy, rich analytics department. That's my problem with them. Well, you know, 80 year old Joe Torre would not stand for it, and and neither did Joe Girardi. I think that's why they ultimately shipped him out. You know, you understand that, right? That he wasn't going to go along with this analytics stuff. He's more of a gut manager, and I like so the that. Yankees are like they're the most valuable franchise. I just like who's who's running the who's running the show. These, these Ivy League guys, they think they they think their um, poop don't stink. It's just like. And like the fans have no clue, but it's like they're they're calling the shots, and like I I don't know I just I feel I feel bad. I hope they can 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 rebound. Well, again, this is a talented roster, Kevin. It is, 
right? It's just there's no zero sense of urgency, right? And and let's not insult the Ivy Leaguers here, right? I did some work for Princeton. I know a lot of Ivy Leaguers actually. Um Princeton, especially. And and you know, NYU, that's not Ivy League, is it? But listen, Joe Joe Torrey hands it off to Joe Girardi. They're both gut managers. I told you guys this when it happened. Joe Girardi went when he went, I was like, that was a mistake. I called it when when it happened. It was a mistake. Because he you know, it was very, it was, there was a clearly friction between him and Gary Sanchez. And he was given some tough love to Gary Sanchez. And ultimately, you found out that Gary Sanchez went through how many three different catching coaches in, in, in that span? I mean, how could anybody be, be settled in at that point? But anyway, the point being, this Yankees team is where analytics have, have gone wrong, Right. What analytics, why does analytics keep telling you to put Aaron Hicks in the three-hole and Giancarlo Stanton in the four-hole? When combined, their average, their batting average combined is like, what? Math on top of my head is like, what, 160? I mean, you're never going to win a game like that. No matter how many times DJ LeMayu gets on base. And he's been slumping too. You know what? It's just, make. why don't the Yankees, can someone call the Yankees up and tell them my plan for the lineup Please. I got to tell you that uh, today I watched the game without volume on because I watched most of the Yankee game from the car dealership today. More on that after the break. Hey, what's going on, Samoos? Coming up Monday after Boomer and Geo at 10 a.m. Moose and Maggie right here on The Fan. Yankees, Rays will react to all the bomber baseball over the weekend. Plus the Mets and the Colorado Rockies, of course, before they head on to Chicago on this road trip. We've got a lot of basketball for you as well. We start at 10. See you there on Sports Radio 1019 FM and on the Odyssey app. Welcome back to McCartan After Midnight, everybody. So this afternoon... I, I just went for service. I wasn't buying, buying a new car by any means. I just went for service today at a dealership in New Jersey that, by the way, at the end of this story, a Yankee goes to, by the way. So here we go. I sat down. I looked around. Well, I looked around first. There was soccer on one TV. Um, there was golf on another TV. So I was like, you know what? Walked up to the guy. I, I had them switch out the golf for the Yankee game. It was kind of hard, though. Like I said, I, could, I couldn't hear the game. So they had the volume off on the TV. They had a radio station playing on you know, the inside of the dealership. I didn't want to be too much of a pain. Someone on Facebook, Howard Weber, he commented on my Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. He said, you have the charm, girl. Well, actually, it kind of went like this. Um, excuse me. I need to watch the Yankee game for work tonight. Which TV could you put it on for me? <laughs> so the Yankees needed to tune up, that's for sure. So this guy sits down next to me, and he asks, are they losing? I said, it's tied, 1-1. He goes, oh, the second inning? They're usually losing by now. Wow. I mean, he's not technically like wrong, right? And then one of, I overheard one of the salesmen telling that guy a little later on. I don't know why he didn't tell me. I had a Yankee cap on and everything. He didn't tell me. But he told the other guy that, guess who goes there for his car? Service, I guess it is. Maybe you bought it there too. I don't know. Mariano Rivera. And I heard the the salesman say to this guy, he said, yeah, real nice. He took pictures with everybody here. I got a picture with him. It's pretty cool. So yeah, Mariano Rivera and I go to the same Ferrari car dealership. (laughs) 
<laughs> no. I saw one of the comments. I forgot. Uh, it was on Twitter. They were saying that. Did I get my or, Lambo brakes fixed? Yeah. <laughs> that was funny. You know, I actually, when I was in Italy, and I could see calls in a second, you guys, 877-337-6666. When I was in Italy, uh, maybe four summers ago, I, I test drove. I didn't. I actually, no, sorry. Take that back. I didn't test drive. I, I just practiced drove a Ferrari. Oh, I forget the name of it. It was a convertible whole thing, right? And I asked the guy. How much does this cost? And he said like two hundred fifty thousand dollars. I was like, hmm. And then he said, Oh, to get the brakes fixed, one brake, one thousand euro. And I was like, Wow, that's like a lot. That's a lot of money to, to get one brake fixed. Um, here I am thinking my dealership charged a lot. So anyway, so no, I don't have a Lamborghini and I don't have a Ferrari. But if I were to, not yet. No, not yet. I'd have a bl- matte black Lamborghini, and of course you have to do a red Ferrari. Have to obligatory right but i love batman and a matte black lamborghini would look like a batmobile to me i love it black out the windows nice nice all right let's go back to the phones in the order that you guys called of course as always let's go to tony in providence next you're up on the fan tony are you there oh we got him tony yes how you doing i'm good how are you this week tony good you make excellent points as usual. Thank you. Coach, you always make good points. And it is frustrating for the Yankees because they have so much offense and and the talent's there. And when they're not producing, and the Yankees were fans because they're so excellent. And we're used to seeing them doing so good. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, really. I mean, and that's why it is frustrating to see with the talent they have. You know, that we have. Well, yeah. I mean,. Talent offensively, you're talking. It's just, it's just frustrating. It's just, it, I don't believe that these guys are being put in the best scenario and the best situation to succeed. Right. You know what right. I'm saying? Right. The scenario. Yep. Yep. I know what you're saying. No, that, that's a big part of it. Huge part of it. I agree. So, and that's not good because we had to be, be put in a good spot. Number one, you had to produce, and we know that. And, it is, no, it's just tough as a fan, like I said. It's just uh, not good, and I'm hoping they're going to make some adjustments or changes, right? Always going to make some changes and adjustments, right? Always, always. And, and that's the one thing I love. Tony, thanks for the call. That is one thing I love about Luis Rojas. He He is not afraid to shake up the lineup by any means at all, um, and, and that's what I like about him, you know? And he's willing to do it. He, I think he used... I mean, seemingly a different lineup combination every uh, every single game last season. Um, it's cooled off a little bit this year. But another team that does that, I hate to say it, is Tampa Bay Rays. They, they love moving guys around. That's what the, the Yankees can't be so rigid in putting out their batting order every single game. It's the same thing. Move them up. Move them down. I would love to see Gio Urshela hitting higher than eighth. I mean, come on, the guy's got a little spark on his bat. Ride the hot hand. I always like doing that. DJ LeMay, who first? Maybe shake it up. Put Urshela second. Whoa, how about that? Aaron Judge needs to be batting third. Uh, I would have had Gary Sanchez fourth. Uh, you know, it just it just changes. But, you know, let, oh, I never tweeted it out. But last week I, I, come up, I came up with, and the other thing, too, is like as a hitter, as a player, you just feel more comfortable in, in different spots than than others. I told you last week, I loved batting second. First, I never liked to lead off the game. Uh, you know, I just, 
I, I don't know. I just, I'm an aggressive, I was, I still am an aggressive hitter. And I just felt like if I went after the first or even second pitch of the game, I felt like it was a waste that I didn't, you know, fully see what, what the pitcher had to offer. I felt like I didn't, you know, waste, quote unquote, waste enough pitches, have her throw enough pitches. So that's why I didn't like batting first. And then batting third was, I hated it even more because, okay, say say the number one batter got out, then the number two batter got out, and here I have to get a hit. Like, I didn't like that pressure. I liked batting second. And the lineup that I came up with, and I can tweet it on the next commercial, I keep forgetting, um, is based upon where guys' career best batting average numbers are in each hole. And I think that makes a lot of sense. To me, anyway, you guys can call up and tell me I'm wrong. Again, 877-337-6666. Matt in Long Branch, New Jersey. You're on the fan. Hey, Danielle. How you doing? I'm good. How are you, Matt? I'm good. I'm actually that that uh, <laughs> persistent guy on Facebook trying to talk sports with you. You, you said to call into your show, so I'm All right. finally doing that. You did it. Awesome. <laughs> yes. And uh, if any Yankee fans, including yourself, ever want to join a good group on Facebook, I won't run one called NYY Immortality. So <laughs> check that out. All right. You got a but shout. You got a plug. What's up? I wanted to call because I loved your intro, your opening monologue. Thank you. Can can House, Prince House Steinbrenner finally admit that he just does not give a damn about his team like his father once did? It's so obvious at this point. You know, and part of me, I don't know if it's that, because this is a legacy team, you know. I just don't know if he if he has what it takes to do it. He doesn't have what it takes to be George Steinbrenner. You know what I'm saying? He might not know. I don't I don't know that it's not what he what if he has what it takes. It's just he obviously seems perfectly content in having the team go to the world go to the playoffs and make the money he can make. It's just will he be also content if this money train goes off a cliff during the regular season. I mean, he might as well admit that Brian Cashman is his brother because he's never going away. He's got full immunity. He might as well be an honorary Steinbrenner. Yeah, or ordain him as a saint, Saint Brian. I get, I, I know, I get it, I get it, and I get the frustration. And I think, and Matt, and thanks for the call, and thanks for um, picking up the phone after uh, after talking on Facebook here. Um, I just listen. I'm not saying fire Brian Cashman, but I am putting it on watch, on notice. I'd like to see what he does at the trade deadline this summer. But the Yankees haven't made the World Series since 2009, and before, and even before that, what was the last time? 2000 was it? So it's been a while. I got a good tweet from, and you guys can tweet me too if you're, maybe you're, you're working or. You're sleeping and you don't want to wake up the whole, you know, everybody else in the house is sleeping. You just always tweet me at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. I'm not really on Facebook during the show, but if you wanted to, it's uh, Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. But I did get a good tweet from Reggie J and then a bunch of numbers. He said, I'm tired of the Yankees getting off to these slow starts. Look at the Dodgers. They're 13-2. and two. They don't play around every year and they come out on fire. Might as well just give them the World Series. Ain't nobody beating them. That's how a team should play. And then I responded with, also... They blew by the luxury tax, and the Yankees didn't. So there's also that element, too, that I'm glad, Matt, you just brought up, um, the Steinbrenners, because there's many layers to this, right? There's the At the base level, there's the analytics that are saying, do this, do that. 
At the next level up, I'm doing it like a motion with my hand. The next level up is the general manager level. But the general manager can't do, can only do so much, I should say, because the, the ownership is telling him you can't go over the luxury tax. You can do what you want, but you can't go over the luxury tax. But then you go back down the, the ladder and you say, well, the reason why they're in such luxury tax problems is because Giancarlo Stanton is making $29 million this year. And he's riding the bench until it's his turn to pick up the bat and strike out and then sit right back down. And who made that move? Brian Cashman made that move. Despite the fact that he already had the exact same player in Aaron Judge also on the team. It was a questionable move. From the outset, I questioned it. Let's go to Blauvelt, New York. Mike, you're on the fan. Oh, hi. Hi, Danielle. How you doing? I'm good, Mike. How are you? Oh, great. I'd like to talk a little about uh, about the um, about baseball and NFL draft. Yeah. Which is topic. Sure. I like, you know, you know, I'm a big Astro fan. I'm going to see my Astro. Somebody bought me tickets, but I am not wearing my gear this year. I would <laughs> not. If I were you, Mike, I care for you. I would not wear the gear this year. I may no, be underneath I, something I, I, else. I, no, no, <laughs> we're, we're struggling. We have Altuve. Uh, we have the guys on protocol out. Mm. And, uh, but I think we'll get our wrap. We, we finally won tonight, you know, and, <laughs> And also about football, I'd like to make a point yeah. about the Patriots, my team. I think that, you know, they had scouts looking at Josh Field. I think that they're definitely going towards the quarterback route. At the, even Hopefully they'll have him or Mac Jones available. But I think that um, I wouldn't pass up getting Mike Parsons, you know, the mm. linebacker. Mm. Why is that? Well, we we were very poor against the run, and we could get a quarterback in the second round. Maybe um, if he's available, I would take him because we we definitely had some weaknesses at the uh, at, at uh, against the run. You notice that last year with the Patriots, they were they, they were abysmal against the run. Well, okay, so you're talking for the Giants, correct? What's that? Are, which team are you talking for? The Giants. I'm sorry. Which team do you want, Michael Parsons? Oh, 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 no, the New England Patriots. Oh, for the Patriots. Oh, forget the Patriots, man. You're a Houston Astros and a Patriots fan. Come yes. on, Mike. Yes, and yes, I am. Oh no, you know what I think they're going to do, uh, Patriots. Ultimately, I think they are going to get a quarterback, um, and, and I really think that they're going to get offensive pieces. I don't know if their defense is the biggest worry right now. I think they're going to target probably a quarterback and a wide receiver is if, is my best guess. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I mean, listen, I haven't studied the Patriots, you know, like I have studied the Jets and Giants, but if I had to guess right now, that that's what I think they would do. Yeah, but I know some McCarthy got um went for an interview mm-hmm. with um mm-hmm. with the, with the Giants. He did. Well, he's a free agent. He can. He's allowed. The Patriots, I guess, didn't want him back. Or maybe they haven't put a good offer out yet for them. Yeah. Okay, have a great night. Yeah, Mike. Thanks to you, too. Appreciate it. Um, yeah, and it kind of stole my thunder there. I did want to talk about that. Um, but I've got my entire draft. I call it the draft Bible right in front of me, you guys. I've gone through most every position. I still have like one or two left to study up on, but... I meticulously go through scouting reports, et cetera, et cetera, of every single player coming up in the draft. I then rank them in my own little system. And then I see how they fit for, you know, the the Jets and the Giants. And I I call it the draft Bible because I put a lot of work into it. And, you know, the one year 
that the quarterbacks uh, were. It was like I guess 2018. I guess it was. It was Sam the Sam Darnold class. Darnold and Mayfield and Josh Allen. Guess who I had as the top ranked quarterback coming out of that class? Josh Allen. Yeah, I did. Believe me. Believe it. I did. So I'm pretty good at these things. I also had Tristan Wirfs, I think, first or second best offensive lineman in, in that draft. Also, or whatever year that was. I nailed that one, too. So I am very comprehensive in my draft preparation here, you guys. The Giants hold one, two, three, four, five, six picks in this draft. Wait, one, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, and the Jets have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten picks in this upcoming draft. Most notably, Jets have pick number two. Giants have pick number 11. And again, in the first round, the Jets via Seattle and that uh, Jamal Adams trade. Jets have the 23 overall pick. So... Wanted to get your thoughts on this as well. Fox bet is what I saw. Uh, the Jets' win total was set at six and a half games. The Jets' win total, six and a half games. Are you taking the over or the under on that, Jets fans? And then the Giants' win total was set at seven and a half games. Are you taking the over or the under on that, Giants fans? So when we come back from this quick update, I will have my answers for you. And uh, maybe we can go through some picks. I don't know. Or we could talk some more baseball. Who, uh, whatever you guys want. Yankees baseball, Mets, they got a win for Jacob DeGrom today. And the Giants and Jets, we are less than two weeks away from the big 2021 NFL draft. I'll take all of your calls and, and, and anything else you guys want to talk about tonight. 877. back to McCartan After Midnight. We are now entering the 3 a.m. hour. We are in our second hour here in New York City, in the greatest city in the world. It's been an hour chock full of baseball talk, mostly Yankees, which is fine. The Mets are also on the table. We've also had a Knicks call, Giants, Jets, and guess what? Guess what? If you're a Giant fan, I've got you covered for the NFL Draft coming up at 4.40 with John Schmelk. It, it's going to be a great interview where we are going to go back and look at the Giants' offseason acquisitions and, and I guess, I, not prognosticate, and that's not the right word, but predict, I guess, how that impacts the, the Giants' roster moves moving forward, including the NFL Draft, where the Giants in the first round, they have pick 11, pick 42, Pick 76, pick 116, 196, and of course, 201. So, with that being said, um, where can we go next? Hmm. You know what? Uh, let's see. You know what? Here's the thing. This Mets game, right? And we'll get to your calls. 877-337-6666, of course, is the number. April in Colorado. The Mets played a doubleheader on Saturday because of not a rain out, but a snow out. And while it's seemingly cold enough, still around here for some snow, this occurred in Colorado. Um, the following Colorado snow tolls have been reported by the National Weather Service as of 2.30 p.m. Friday. They got 7.2 plus inches of snow in Denver. This, to me, is indicative of a scheduling thing. Why schedule so many home games for the Rockies in what is historically, according to the National Weather Service, the second snowiest month there. 
In March, they average 11.3 inches of snow. April is second with 8.8 inches of snow. The 2021 Rockies have 16 home games, 11 away games. It's like things that make you say, hmm, right? But the field, look, you would never know look, watching the game today, right? The field looked beautiful. So here's the thing. When I was there visiting Coors Field, beautiful, loved it, great little downtown area. I was there the winter of 2019. I was getting the stadium tour. The field was completely ripped up, just down to the dirt, like everywhere. No grass, no warning track, no nothing. On the stadium tour, they, they said that they were in the process of fitting the entire field with and installing these underground uh, heating coils. Under the field, there's like heating coils, I guess, with water that gets pumped through them, I think, how it works. So that obviously had a profound impact on the snow melt and removal. Clearly, they've already um, utilized them. The field looked beautiful. So when you watch the, the Mets game, I guess that would be, when do they play next? Uh, later on, on Sunday. Just think about that. Think about the, the underground heating coils that they installed in the winter of 2019. Because the field looked beautiful. And you know what else, too? Uh, the Yankee highlights are coming up on the TV in here. I really don't like what they do either. I don't like, I never like this, how the third base path and the first base path around the home plate and the pitcher's mound, they have like a that different color. They're light colored, whereas everywhere else is darker color. I like that. I don't, I just make it one color. Why does it have to be two different kinds? Ugh, it's, I'm looking at it again. It's ugly. Ugh, ugly. Okay, back to your calls. 877-337-6666. Lenny in Fort Lauderdale. You're on the fan. DM and the PM. How are you? <laughs> DM and the AM for now. All right, okay, right, right. AM. That's what I meant. I forget <laughs> about that. Well, we'll get you in that PM. I want you in JJ slot. Got to. Well, we'll see what happens with that. Wait but I, that. I threw my name in there, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, you're definitely deserving. Thank you. On the, on the come. On the come. Anyway, uh, the things that uh, I, I notice, at least, for the Yankees... For the um, what's the other team? The Nets. Mm-hmm. All these teams, uh, they they lack they lack passion. They have they don't play with passion. I look at the Knicks. I couldn't be prouder of the Knicks this year. Yeah. How hard they play game after game. I look at Francisco Lindor get a big hit today. Saw that. Pump his fist going down the line. Yep. Then you see the Yankees, and and there's no pulse from Boone. There's nothing from the uh, front office. No, no caring about winning or losing. No, if George Steinbrenner was around, he'd be flipping his top. Mm-hmm. Forget about it. And then the Nets. Let me tell you about the Nets. I am so sick of this team. It's got to be the, the the least like team I've ever seen assembled. I don't. If I was a Nets fan and they actually do win the championship, I would never be happy with that. These guys are just a bunch of mercenaries. They might as well just sit the whole year. And come and play for the playoffs. Why pay these guys? If I was somebody that paid to go, uh, look, they played the Sixers the other night. You look forward to this game. You pay for a ticket, and then you get there, and then two guys are sitting for mm-hmm. no reason at all. Mm-hmm. It's disgusting. It's it's, it's I, really I, if I was a fan of them, yeah, I would not be happy. If they, I I'm much more happier watching the Knicks. Play hard night after night and not winning. To me, it's not that important to win a championship, especially if you're doing it the way the Nets are doing it. 
How do you feel on that? Yeah, Lenny, I think I think you and I are are in agreement here, and I don't mean to be like, but we're old school, right? I, I would, I tell you this all time, you guys all this all time. I'd rather watch the Knicks than the Nets. I'd right now rather watch the Mets than the Yankees. I mean, look at how the Mets, you know, won that first game. They had four base hits in a row. And and uh, Pilar scored on a first-to-home play. Bang, bang. I like that. You mentioned it. Lindor turning around, fist-pumping, yelling into the dugout. I mean, I guess the Yankees have it. I think Luke Voigt means more to the team than, than people want to lead on to. Right? They already say he, he's their, their emotional leader. Okay? And did you see, was it today? I guess it was. Or a Saturday. I, I don't know. I was sitting in the car dealerships. So I couldn't hear it, but... Aaron Boone, he's chewing his gum, a little smiley face, and he, he's making the motion with his hands for Brett Gardner to start banging the, on the, the roof of the dugout. I didn't like that either. I thought that was embarrassing. So, uh, yes, I am with you. When you pay for, first of all, the ticket prices are ridiculous to begin with because there's a limited capacity, right, first. That's first. Then you pay for a, a premium, which I assume is a premium game, Nets Sixers. And you got these guys who are sitting on the bench. You know, it's just, it's amazing to me how devalued, especially in basketball, the regular season is. Now, how do these guys, maybe they can, I don't know, but how do these guys expect to turn it on in the come, come the playoffs when they haven't played with each other really up until that point? Like, I don't, I don't get it. Are they really that uber-talented? I think that the Nets need to take a little bit uh, notes of the Knicks on how to play defense. That's number one. It's it's like, again, I'd rather watch the Mets hit base hits, bunt at will, like Brandon Nimmo did. He wasn't told to bunt. He just bunted on his own. And then watch the Yankees strike out or hit a home run. Right? I'd rather watch the Knicks play tough defense and of course, it only gets you so far with this net, this Knicks roster, right? They don't have much scoring going on. Everybody knows that. But the last I checked, they allowed the least amount of points in the league. And the Nets are the second. If the season ended today, the Knicks would be the two seed in in the Eastern Conference. If the season ended today, the Knicks would be the six seed. It's just you got to think, right? Like there's two very different styles of basketball. I would like to. I prefer the Mets, and I prefer the, the Knicks style of basketball, not the team, just the style. And again, if you're maybe the Nets fans can give us a, a a perspective on this. If the Nets win the championship, how do you feel about that? On like a scale of zero to ten, how would you feel about that? Excited wise, knowing that it's like a, a revolving door of all-stars on that team that kind of play when they want to play and sit when they want to sit. I don't know. Let me hear from you, Net fans. Let's hear it. Let's go to Robbie in Lennox. You're on the fan. Danielle, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing all right. My left arm's hurting me because I got my first shot today. So oh, well, that's a good like hurt, though. Shooting too many foul shots or too many shot, slap shots from the point. But, <laughs> you know, nobody talks about my favorite team on this station. And the hottest team right now in New York, and that's the Rangers. And, uh, you know, I mean, look, I'm really excited about the team and the progress that they've made. And uh, it's a shame because these are the best guys. 
the best sport, the hardest working guys. Nobody takes a day off. 20 guys play. I mean, I just listened to your last car. I tell you honestly, I hate the Celtics being a Knicks fan. I hate the Lakers, but I would root for those two teams before I root for the Brooklyn Nets because you talk about a bunch of guys that have no desire to even. I mean, those three guys are the biggest jerks, and I have no desire. They're the most unappealing team I've ever seen in my life since the Pistons were winning, you know, years ago with, with, with the Bill bad Lambeer. boys team. Yeah. Anyway, yes, it's Lambeer and the Worm and all hey, those guys. Hey, Lambeer has been good to me, though, so I can't complain. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, yeah. But i got to talk about my Yankees. I mean, you know, I grew up in Westchester. I, my, my dad's office was the Bronx. I spent my whole life going to Yankee games and World Series games. And I'm 56, all right? I saw Stick Michael play short when I was a kid, all right? Mm-hmm. And the problem with the Yankees is that this team is poorly built in terms of October baseball. Mm-hmm. You can slam 4,000 home runs in the regular season. You can beat up on the Baltimore's and the lousy teams of the world. But when you have quality pitching in the playoffs, you cannot have a predominant all-right-handed lineup going against right-handed pitchers that throw curveballs, and these guys can't hit it. Yeah. They are a terrible situational hitting team. And I'll give you a perfect example of what I talk about with situations. Okay, today, you're talking about the eighth inning, okay? I think there was one out, all right? And Brett Gardner's up. Now, you're down by two runs. Mm-hmm. Gardner has a three-and-one count on him. You've got to take a pitch on three-and-one. You need to get on base. You're not Mickey Mantle, Brett Gardner. <laughs> Think about the situation. You're down two runs, and God forbid, Daniel, anybody could ever just butcher boy. We used to call it butcher boy when I was a kid. Butcher boy the damn ball down the line. Aaron Hicks wants to contribute to the Yankees. Forget giving him in the third spot. How about the fact that Aaron Hicks is hitting, what, 150-something now? Yep. I mean, what's he hitting? Uh, I have to look it up, but keep okay, keep well, going. I'll let you know. Less than 200, right? Yeah, okay. for sure. It's like, less than one, it's like 167, I okay. think it is. Okay, God forbid you should ever just butcher boy the ball down the third baseline when the right guys on the right side are playing so far to the right that the, you know, that the first baseman is, is sharing popcorn with the guy in, in, you know, in the stands. Yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous. And, but and the, but, but Robbie, he, Robbie, he did it once. He, he did it once, and yeah. he never did right. it again. I remember you talking about that, and that was—I believe that was in the preseason game you talked about. Yes. It, in, in spring training. Never did it and, again. And, Why not? Hey, and Aaron Boone, look, look, it's not all his fault. This is about Brian Cashman in terms of the way the team's constructed. But Aaron Boone, could you please be a little bit more aggressive with your baseball? Mm-hmm. Could you please run once in a while? I've said it a million times on the station. I hate repeating myself. The Yankees don't have a legitimate leadoff hitter. Next year, Javi Baez is a free agent. Go and get a legitimate shortstop. I'm telling you, Glaber Torres, and you talked about instinct. Glaber Torres can be a great athlete, but one thing shortstops have to have is great instincts. You have to be a general on the field, mm-hmm. and you have to understand situations. And, and Glaber does not look comfortable. Let's be honest. He's not comfortable with that position. Right. And, and they, they just, they're a feast or famine team. You can't have a predominantly right-handed team in Yankee Stadium. It makes no sense. You need line drive contact teams. Daniel, you look at the last 10 teams that won the World Series. They have a yes. couple of boppers, not four or five yep. guys that strike out. You know, you they struck out 27 times in two games. And I was sick and tired of them losing to Tampa Bay. These guys need to get angry. They need to get on the field, and they need to learn how to hit in smaller bites. Stop trying to kill the ball. Stop trying to hit home runs. Just make contact. Can you please, if they would just start making contact, maybe they would win some games more. It's the striking out drives me nuts, and that's the problem with baseball. All these guys do. I'm sick of launch angle and and this, you know this all these stupid statistics that have absolutely nothing to do with winning ball games. So that that's my opinion on the Yankees. I mean, they'll get better. They'll hit. 
But and again, you know, Brian Cashman, I mean, makes a mistake. He has not been able to get a guy behind Cole for a couple of years. They had a chance to get you, Darvish. They didn't want Darvish. Darvish didn't want to come to New York. So I don't know really what the answer is as far as their starting pitching. They're going to score runs. It's early. It's April. I don't really count April games, Danielle. But the thing about this team, it drives you crazy. There's such a lethargy to this team. They yes. need somebody to kick them in the ass. I'm sorry. That's just the way I feel. Anyway, thanks for the time. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. But uh, I'm telling you, the Knicks are fun to watch. And the Knicks, you know, I've been a Knicks fan since 1973. I saw their last championship. And I give Tom Thibodeau a ton of credit. Mm-hmm. I like the way these guys play. And you know what? People are going to now want to come to the Knicks and play for this guy because of the way this team is playing. So, anyway, we'll see what happens. But thanks, Danielle, for the time. Appreciate it. Yeah, of course, All the best to you. Thank you. you. Got it. Thanks for the passionate call there. Uh, yeah, for lots of stuff there, right? Um, yes, that was the idea when Thibodeau came into the Knicks, was to make the Knicks an attractive destination again. I think that is mission accomplished for him. That's first. Um, as in regards to... Just this Yankee situational hitting, this is something we've seen over and over and over and over again. And it's just, when it works, it works. I mean, when when you got Aaron Boone, who is very even-keeled and very nonchalant, your team is going to play like that. I'm sorry. You don't have to be this rah-rah, get-in-your-face sort of yell-at-you sort of manager, but you got to have a pulse, right? And I know that Brian Cashman is handcuffed or being handcuffed by ownership as well t- as to not to go over the luxury tax, just like the uh, the Dodgers did. But come on, man. As far as the the, um, the leadoff batter, please, can they try Clint Frazier there? Please, can they put him there? He, guy's got speed. Let him run once he gets on. DJ LeMay, who's not running anywhere. I'm sorry, you guys. He's not, not a threat in the base path. And Glaber Torres is not a shortstop. Did you see the play earlier on Saturday? I guess it was Higashioka at that point behind the plate. Higashioka has the guy nailed. Nailed. Trying to steal second base. Glaber Torres panicked as the runner was coming at him and the ball and the runner were, were arriving at second base at the same time. He panicked. He backed off a little bit and was expecting a hop. The ball didn't hop. Went right underneath his glove and right into left field. Uh, right into center field. The runner was out. It's not Glaber Torres' fault. The kid's a hard worker. He is. He's just playing out of position because the roster is not assembled the right way. And finally, launch angle. Guess what? Brandon Nimmo has one of the lowest launch angles in all of baseball. But guess what? He's got the highest on base percentage by a mile. Over Mike Trout. Brandon Nimmo's on base percentage 571. Trout 526. Then third is Vladimir Guerrero, Guerrero Jr. at 524 and then drops off way far behind there. Not everything's about launch angle. New York Yankees, are you listening? All right, we got to hit a quick break here, everybody. I'm going to send out a poll. For you guys, there is a new um, sports figure that is joining the hosting world of Jeopardy. Who is it? I'm going to throw up a poll right now at Coach MCCARTAN. I want to give you a, a chance to vote, a couple seconds to vote, whether it's going to be that this new guy or do you like Aaron Rodgers? I think those are the only two two uh, sports figures that have been on the Jeopardy 
um, stage to take over permanently a tryout for Alex Trebek. You guys know I'm a huge Jeopardy fan. Watched it all my life. All right, so we're going to throw that up in a second. At Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. Talk to you guys in a few seconds. The Nets' three-game road trip begins this afternoon in Miami when they take on the Heat. This is Chris Carino. Tim Capstraw and I will bring you all the action beginning at 3.20 on Sports Radio 101.9 WFAN-FM and streaming on WFAN2.com with the Yankees-Rays game continuing on Sports Radio 66, WFAN-AM and streaming on WFAN.com. This is making me laugh, everybody. Hi, I'm McCartan. I'm Danielle McCartan here on The Fan with you guys. At Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N is what is making me laugh here on Twitter. I threw up a quick poll, three-minute poll. There's one minute left on the poll. Question is, which sports figure are you picking to host Jeopardy? Choices are Aaron Rodgers, who has already done some hosting duties, right? He had, what, two weeks to try out? Another sports figure is getting a tryout this summer. According to Andrew Marchan, Joe Buck is in the mix for the full-time job. So, is it Joe Buck or is it Aaron Rodgers that you're rooting for if they go via the sports route, which I feel like they would just to try to get a new audience in, right? So, um, the way you guys are voting right now, the poll is ending currently, dot, 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 dot. 71% of you guys said you would prefer Aaron Rodgers as the Jeopardy host. That leaves 29% of you guys voting for Joe Buck. John Rossi says, I can't stand Joe Buck calling a game. Listening to to him trying to act smart, pass. (laughs) Whereas Paul M. Connell, Paul calls the show all the time. He says, both of these guys are great. Joe Buck is a classic old school broadcaster. So, what do I think? Well, Aaron Rodgers, I hate to say it, was a little bit boring. Rodgers was boring. Come on, you guys. Although, I don't know if Joe Bucks is going to be any better, but he's probably going to be really charismatic. He already has the ability to host, right, because he hosts shows and everything all the time on live TV. Now, this is taped TV. So, uh, I think uh, I'm going to disagree with the masses here. I'm going to go with, I think Joe Buck is going to be a better Jeopardy host than Aaron Rodgers. So this summer, we shall see. All right, back to your calls in the order that you guys call, 877-337-6666. Um, I guess next would be Saddlebrook, New Jersey. I think that is. Mike, New Jersey, right? Hey, hey, Daniel. Yes, that's it. Yeah, that's okay. Correct. It says New York on the thing. Hey, what's up? Saddlebrook, <laughs> I know Saddlebrook very well. Okay, uh, two quick things. One thing, I agree with you about Joe Buck. Uh, Aaron Rodgers just was too boring. Too, too plain. Too, too vanilla. Yeah, it's very yeah. boring. Yep. Now, I'd like to talk about the Yankees thing. You know, and I've been a Yankee fan over 45 years. Mm-hmm. I say this to people all the time. Like I said today, it's only April 17th or 18th. Let's see how the rest of the season plays out. Because I think once they get it together, they're going to be in a mix of things, you know. I, I My feeling is, you know, pitching always comes around. It, it's... It's tough after spring training with, with injuries and stuff like that. You get a guy like Luke Voigt back, and, uh, you know, you just start to uh, see how, how well Giancarlo Stanton gets back into the mix. And Aaron Judge 
does a little bit better. I, I don't know what your feeling is on that. Yeah, Mike, I don't know. I think it just seems very uh, laissez-faire. You know, baseball is uh, about football. Football is about winning games, right? And baseball is about yeah, winning yeah. series. And the Yankees have already lost four of their five series. That's but concerning. Yeah, like totally no, no, no. But I'm saying the the themes that have carried throughout yeah. these not hitting with runners in scoring position. Who is a pitcher yeah. behind Garrett Cole? Like, yeah. They need to figure and, all that and, out. Yeah, and I could believe, like, when the roster moved for Odor, I, I kind of felt like we didn't need him. I don't know. I, right. That's what I'm that's, saying. I, I, I saw that move, and I, I was scratching my head. Saying, Where, I, I don't know. It just didn't make sense to me. I got to ask you a quick football question. Yeah. That, that just popped to me. What do you, what's up with Odell Beckham? Where do you think he's going? Or do you think he's leaving Cleveland? I don't think he's leaving Cleveland. I think Cleveland, okay. I, I think they have okay. a real chance. I actually, you know what I did the other day, and I can't mm-hmm. load it right now. I put some cash on, not a lot, obviously, but I put some cash <laughs> on the Browns to win the Super Bowl. I really did. Well, they got, they got, uh, they got, what's his name? It was the Clowny. They just signed Clowny yep. a couple days ago. That was the day and I did they, it. Yep. And they actually released uh, uh, an all-pro one also. Well, Sheldon Richardson, it's, I guess it's just a, a casualty of being, you know, a, a good team, you know? Well, let's see. Let's see. Again, like I always say, you still got to play the games. But uh, mm-hmm. I kind of hold it out hope for, for Odell coming back here. But I guess I'm just uh, – I guess so. Uh, here is in the Giants. I don't think it's going to – there's going to be a reunion. Even with the Jets, though, if you look at the Jets. Yes, uh, the Jets would love it. Yes, yes, Mike, now you're talking. But what happened – there's a rumor going on. I actually heard it on the fans that San Francisco offered the Jets the 12th, uh, 12th pick in the first round for Sam Donald and the Jets didn't go for it. Did you hear that? I did not. Yeah. I heard it on the fans. Well, I'm telling you, it's very interesting. Very interesting. Well, Danielle, it was a pleasure. Thank you very much. Yeah, of course, Mike. Appreciate it. Um, Yeah, see, I said this a little, how many months ago? A year at least ago. I don't think the Giants and Odell Beckham are, are set for a reunion anytime soon. I know anything can happen, right? I just don't see it. However, I did suggest, and those of you guys that listen to the show know that I suggested Odell Beckham to the Jets. Odell Beckham Jr. would be electric on the New York Jets. Let's just put it that way. Absolutely electric. But I really don't think every year it's like, where is he going to play? Where is he going to play? He's got a contract, but where is he going to play? Uh, ultimately, I think he ends up back with Cleveland. I, I I don't see him leaving that situation. Unless, of course, he doesn't get along with Baker Mayfield. That's That's another thing. But I, I feel like though Odell Beckham likes to be the guy, and I feel like being in Cleveland doesn't allow him to be the guy. But if he went to the Jets, who, who the Jets can afford him, he would be the guy. Imagine Mims Beckham. Well, that's that would be the start of it. But Mims and Beckham um, with Zach Wilson, that's a really good start. Really good. And all the other picks that the Jets can get, which, listen, the Jets can go in any direction, pretty much, this draft. So if you want to talk about that, I could I tease that a little bit. If you want to talk about that, we can also do that as well. All right, Mike in West Palm, what is up this week? Buongiorno, professora. Buongiorno. Oh, buona mattina. <laughs> Grazie. 
Yeah, you know, I was laughing. Uh, I, I like Jeopardy too, Danielle. Uh, Aaron Rodgers. I was going to use that word before, but you used it. You beat me to it. Vanilla. Vanilla. Um, mm-hmm. And Joe Buck. Yeah, you know, maybe the personality. Um, and that's that's a good little uh, question you had for your uh, listening audience. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> you know, a lot of things. Uh, um, I, I'll get to the Yankees later. <laughs> uh, the Knicks. I watched a Dallas game the other day. You know, they are making strides. The coaches making strides. They're finally playing. That was you heard that echo in the garden back in the day when it was a mecca. Defense, defense. They're playing hard. You know, and they're fun to watch. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. You know, uh, Danielle, I was on uh, uh, YouTube listening to music, and I went to your page, uh, the re- reporter that you are. Great, great interviews. Bobby Valentine. Bobby I love- Valentine, yeah. Okay, Strawberry, uh, Johnny Franco, and uh, when I saw <laughs> when I saw the interview with Lenny Dykstra, I'm saying to myself, oh, man, man, wow, oh. you know, yeah, he he had uh, he he looked like he just got out of uh, the ring after after being knocked out in the twelfth round and, and speaking um, the after effects of whatever he was taking. You, you know, know what, Mike? He told me after the interview yep. that he was going to the dentist literally the next day to get teeth put in his mouth. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I've got I've got that on deck too with demolition and extraction is a lot of fun. Yeah, that's gonna be a lot of fun. Uh you know, um uh me and a few Met fans when they traded Lenny Dykstra to the Phillies, you know, I said, Look at the body type in in less than a year. We didn't do that in the gym. That's for sure. That's you know. Yes. But anyway, yes. um all the calls, you know, maybe Cashman will be uh, for the Yankees. Maybe he'll be the GM for life. I don't know. But it's uh like Yogi with all the Yogiisms, uh, it's it's like deja vu all over again. Mm-hmm. You're watching the same thing: home run hitters or strikeouts, pitching performances uh, lackluster. Uh, even the fans. I was watching a game yesterday. Um, even the fans are. There's no energy there. Mm-hmm. There's no. There's no vibration. There's you know uh, nothing going on. And maybe how Steinbrenner. You know, he seems like an owner, like the new Mets owner, thank God. The Wilpons couldn't leave quick enough. Uh, he stays in the background. But uh, moves have to be made. And, uh, you know, I just I just wish, you know, there's some electricity in the Bronx like there always was. Uh, switching off to uh, to the Jets, uh, Danielle, um, Joe Douglas got some work to do. And, and you said it uh, well, too. They've got moves to make. Let's hope they're the right moves. And we haven't seen, which I mentioned on previous shows, uh, we haven't seen uh, uh, anything resembling a tight end. Um, Decades. You know, right. You know, um, uh, so, you know, that's, that's, where it, uh, that's where it sits. And we hope that uh, all us longtime Jet fans, and I still can't stand that guy that comes on uh, ESPN who wrote that book. What's wow. his name? Keyshawn Johnson, give me the damn ball. That's Keyshawn Johnson. That's the guy. <laughs> Give yeah. me the damn ball. Um, I'll leave you with this. Um, any activity, uh, practice for the uh, WFAN softball team? Nothing yet, but you know what I was looking up? I was looking up to buy a catcher's helmet and chest protector um, in case I am the catcher. I was looking up how much, pricing that out a little bit. Um, I'll, right. do, I'll do it. <laughs> You'll do it, and whatever position you play, you know, you keep – Keep hitting line drives. That's you it. Know, line drive. Used to tell the kids that all the time. You know, line drives, line drives. Um, okay, uh, Danielle. I always uh, try to be courteous. You got people on deck. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to shout out to Nick. I'm going to sit down in a little while after my Wawa coffee and uh, <laughs> shuffle the cards, play a little poker. So 
I always sit down like I'm a stupid poker player, but I'm far from being stupid. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I would never Danielle, be good at poker. I don't have a good poker face. Oh, uh, I got you. I got you. I got, um, yeah, I'll bring that face with me. Um, you are going places. Uh, I've said it before, whether it's radio or TV, but uh, with, with your, um, you know, the way you, uh, what you bring to the table, and it's enjoyable every week, and you're in control, and uh, you still got and will continue to have serious uh, mojo behind the mic. You know? <laughs> I appreciate that, Mike. Thank you very much. All right, Daniel. All the best. Talk to you next week. Listen, the Jets, and Mike said it good too. He said the Jets better be right on, on what they do here because my plan for the Jets moving forward was this. Keep Sam Darnold, and with the number two overall pick, you're taking Kyle Pitts. He's the second best player, overall player in the draft. There are five players in this NFL draft that the NFL itself labels as having Pro Bowl talent, which is the highest mark for any player in, in this class, at least, and those five players are, in this order, Trevor Lawrence, Kyle Pitts, Devontae Smith, Jamar Chase, and Patrick Sertan. Those, those are the five best players in the draft, as stated by NFL. If the Jets could have just held on to Sam Darnold one more year, paired him with Pitts, took a running back at 23, or an offensive lineman, best available, whichever one was the better, um, you know, better player. Then you see. But now they put themselves in a position where they have to take Zach Wilson at two. They have to pick uh, pass on pits at this point. I just, I don't know. I, I, they bet. Mike said it. The Jets better be right. And I've got some questions about Zach Wilson, and so did Connie last week, the former scout for the Jets. She had some questions too. I don't know. This is a big gamble. I think, I, I, and I don't want to say it because I didn't. I didn't. I'm not positive on this, so I'm not going to say that um, on how NFL graded uh, Zach Wilson. I could look it up for you, but I'm not going to say it without actually having it written down right in front of me. So, question for you, Giants fans. Now, which NFL veteran who has recently said he's looking for an opportunity to compete in 2021 visited? The Giants, we'll say. I was going to say local teams, but I said it already. So which NFL veteran visited the Giants this weekend and the player said he's looking for an opportunity to compete? I'll fill you in on who that is coming up after the break. Hey, what's going on, Samoose? Coming up Monday after Boomer and Geo at 10 a.m. Moose and Maggie right here on The Fan. Yankees, Rays will react to all the bomber baseball over the weekend. Plus the Mets and the Colorado Rockies, of course, before they head on to Chicago on this road trip. We've got a lot of basketball for you as well. We start at 10. See you there on Sports Radio 1019 FM and on the Odyssey app. It's the weekend, on the weekend, here on The Fan, 101.9 FM, 660 AM. Nick smiled, he liked that little intro there. <laughs> Nick's on the phone tonight. I'm here behind the mic. Danielle McCartan, that is. Uh, listen, um, I teased it, so let me go back to it. There was an NFL veteran who said he's looking for an opportunity to compete in 21. He visited the New York football Giants this weekend. Ah, weekend, weekend visit. It all, kind of, all comes together. Ian Rappaport says the Giants are hosting former Patriots defensive back Jason McCourty. The source said as the team and McCourty are exploring a possible move in the future. That was from Ian Rappaport. 
So I DM'd that tweet to one of his agents with the fingers crossed emoji, and he wrote back, ha ha, facts. Hmm. <laughs> it's the first visit of the offseason for McCordy, by the way, but he did go to high school at St. Joe's in Montvale, went to college at Rutgers. He's from Nyack. So interesting to me is that he's looking for an opportunity to compete. Interesting, obviously, is that he's if he decided to sign with the Giants, it, it would definitely signify that the Giants are closer. I'm going to use air quotes here, closer than many people are giving him credit for. So that's going to be something to watch this week for sure. Where does Jason McCourty end up? Will he be a Giant teaming up again with Logan Ryan in the in the uh, in the secondary there? I don't know. That's pretty good. I like it. Full send. Send it. All right, let's go back to the phones. 877-337-6666. Ben in Queens, you're up. Morning, Coach. How are you? Firstly. Yes. Personal question. Mm -hmm. What's the craziest a parent or relative ever did at one of your sporting events? Um... My uncle is pretty crazy, so we really didn't allow him to come to any. But, okay, so once I was uh, probably maybe a junior. It was a softball game. We were playing in Cliffside Park. And it was so funny because, all right, so the story goes like this. I was running to second base from first to second. Ball was hit to the second baseman. And she made a motion to tag me and never tagged me. And the umpire called me out. And I, I a little bit freaked out on the field. And my dad did, too. And he, he's a quiet guy. He never says anything. But he asked the home plate umpire who made the call. He said, what game are you watching? And the umpire said, oh, yeah? You're going to go watch from your car and don't come out of it. My dad had to go watch the game in the car. But actually, funny enough, Ben, the girl that supposedly tagged me out was my best friend freshman year in college at Rampo College. And ha. guess what? She said she remembered the play, and she said, no, I did not tag you. So, boom. There you go. Okay, so so uh, just uh, not where I was going with this, but just to know, let your dad know, my dad was the same way. When I coached my sister's softball, mm-hmm. my dad never went with the parents. He stood by center field. Yep. He went, I'm staying away from these crazies. You got this. I'm like, okay, got it. No, no problem. And freaking as my sis comes up, my dad would be, Getting ice cream, my dad was doing all sorts of different things that that like to motivate my sister. Yeah. So, so mm-hmm. just to let you know. Yeah. Reason I'm bringing this up is the dancing grandmother. <laughs> oh yeah, I knew that was going to go viral as soon as I saw it. Ben, tell them what what, the, what are you talking about? Wait, the best thing about this the, the WNBA draft uh, was it the Liberty pick? It was yes. I think it was the Liberty pick. Yep. Her grandma. Michaela Onyenwere's grandma. Yeah, I will mess that name up all <laughs> season long. I, her grandma just starts breaking out of dancing. Oh, yeah. And, going, and you could see a second there that the mom was going to try to stop her. <laughs> and just went like, okay, let's just let her go. Yeah, there's just no stopping her, her. Yep. No, it's all and, over the internet. And, and all credit to Michaela because she's doing the interview with a straight face, but she can feel it behind her. Like, oh God, what is she doing? Yeah. Oh, 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 this this is going to go viral. I'm glad and they didn't it cut viral. it. I'm glad they let it go. I'm glad they didn't cut it right away. So now for drafts, we got Belichick's dog, 
forget, I forget whose kids it was that that was doing the pics there. And now Michaela's grandmother. That there it goes. Yep. Um, That's it. That the world we're living in, virtual drafts. <laughs> yeah. So let the roller coaster ride continue. Let's go with the down thing. Ah, Yanks. I, I, and and you you saw my tweet. Again, I'm good with losing if there's effort. Yeah, there's a pulse. Glaber, I love you, all right? But you, listen, Tati's got more errors than you, but Tati's got more home runs. The runs <laughs> driven in. Yeah. <laughs> you yep. know, there's a reason he's still on the field. I don't see why you're still on the field right now. You got the yips. You got the knob blocks right now. And, and... <sighs> Going on ten plus years about clutch hitting, ten plus years. <laughs> so like, oh, oh the, the aneurysm. But roller coaster ride goes right back up again. I'm loving my Rangers. We may not make the playoffs, but these guys turned on to a gear the last couple of days. And I know it's against the Devils, and the Devils are a young team. And I told people on this show about. Four weeks ago, yo, the Devils-Rangers rivalry will heat up. Mm -hmm. And the Devils-Islanders rivalry will heat up. And you saw a bit of that today. Because here I am relaxing. It's 3-0. Okay, it's 4-1. What do you mean it's 4-2? It's (laughs) 4-3? What what are we doing? I I thought they couldn't score. What's going on here? You know? Well, so, that, that's also of too a product of how the schedule is. It, the uh, divisions are aligned this year. They play each other a hundred times a season, so it's bound to happen. Yeah, but hey, hey, it could be worse. Oh yeah, I like it. We, I we, think they should keep it we, this way. We could be Vancouver. Yeah, right. Oh, they are trying to fit in nineteen games in thirty-two days. Sounds like what the Mets what are going to have to do. <laughs> God. I, oh, oh, oh. And with skating, yeah, yeah, my legs would be dead. Oh, yeah. I'd be like, yeah, yeah, let, let, yeah. bring bring over the, the electroshock machines. I just need to, yeah, yeah, <laughs> this ain't working tonight. And I'll leave off on this. <laughs> Again, a, a medium positive thing. As a Porzingis guy, I was a little bit mad when he left town. Okay? But. Without I having proven anything, right? It was just the allegations at that point. Exactly. Right. So I want to be the first to come on the air right now and say to Mr. Julius Randall, I am sorry. I spoke out of emotion back then. Hmm. But you know what? I know Julius Randall is up and down. He can be fool's gold at time. But there is no question. Every time this dude is played, he has left it on the court. Oh, He's course. given everything on the court. And you know what? I want players like that. I, this is how I he, – he's given me the same feeling right now I felt about Latrell Spiriol, mm-hmm. where when he came to t- – oh, I don't want this guy on my team. Why are we getting – and then after three months of watching him play, why did I doubt getting this guy on my team? Right. What the hell? So, you know what? And with that, to the Liberty, good luck. I love your picks. Um, it's going to be interesting, the, the Baylor point guard, though. The Baylor point guard with Sabs in the back, that's going to be interesting. Yeah, D.D. Richards. Yep. Oh, and, and they've had, they had a couple of good battles, too. 
So that's going to be interesting to see here in New York. But as I, I, I said, this works out if we're going up tempo. And you and Kevin both went, we're going up tempo. Oh, yeah. New York Liberty, <laughs> that's for sure. Ben, thanks for the call. Thanks I appreciate for time, it. Coach. Yeah, the New York Liberty, they are going up tempo. That is the goal. That's what they told you here on the show. Um, and, and Michaela, if you haven't seen it, that's a great video. Michaela Onion Worry. She tweeted on February 7th. 2013, as a 14-year-old, she wrote on Twitter, uh, I guess it was a trending hashtag at the time, 30 facts about me. Hashtag 30 facts about me. My dream is to be in the WNBA. Now at 21 years old, she was the sixth overall pick in the 2021 WNBA draft by our New York Liberty. So there you go. Southampton we go. Howard, you're on the fan. Uh, good morning, Danielle. It's nice to finally talk to you. We interact sometimes on Twitter. Cool. Um, and the Zach Wilson thing, um, I think the way to understand how uh, NFL execs evaluate him is with the touchdown to interception ratio. It kind of jumps out at you how good it is. Mm-hmm. And I think he's going to be really good, but I think the Jets need to come out of this draft with at least one or two starting caliber offensive linemen. And if he starts to get clobbered, especially in the beginning of his career, it's going to impact his play. So I I think that's critical. It'd be Sam Darnold 2.0, wouldn't it be? That's the big fear here in New York. Yeah, I I think uh, they're they're really counting on the LaFleur system, too, to be compatible with his style of play. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm kind of optimistic, but the the, the offensive lineman thing is is what I'll be looking for on draft night. Uh, The second thing, you were talking about the Nets earlier. Mm -hmm. The, the, the Nets, the way I understand them, is this it's massive gamble uh, to put all the emphasis on the playoffs instead of the regular season. And I think a lot of the star caliber players in the NBA kind of see the regular season as a, a lot less important, you know, with uh, all these resting games right. and built-in time off during the regular season, and I think they're it's all in on the playoffs. Yeah, I think it's ridiculous. Yep. Well, so, you know, especially in, the, in the age of COVID, it, it gives them an excuse to do it, too, yeah. because mm-hmm. they, 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 uh, they, they just see the, the regular season as, a, as too risky for injury with all the emphasis on just getting a ring and, and doing well in the playoffs. Well, the Nets, and, uh, yeah, the Nets certainly have a, a target on their backs. Uh, uh, you know, the thing is, too, they, they don't you want to play for the number one seed? Like, wh- what is the incentive? There's a huge incentive to play for the number one seed, and they just, versus 76ers, they just did it. Like, what's up with that? I think they pay lip service to that. I, I think once they're in the tournament, so to speak, they they figure they can bear down and, and focus and uh I, I think that's clearly way. what they think, but I, I mean, I, I'd like to see it at, at least a few times before they get to the to playoffs, Don't, wouldn't you? Uh, yeah, but we're about to see it. I mean, that's why I called an experiment because we don't know how it's going to turn out yet. So they're, they're probably as good as the three or four other teams that everybody mentions, like the, the Sixers and now even the, uh, Jazz, the Jazz and the, uh, the Sun and the Lakers, of course. So, mm-hmm. um, We'll see. I mean, they're as, they're as good as those teams. It's just a question of how well they play in the playoffs. And how much, and and how much defense of, they play. Yeah, well, that's it. Too. Oh. At least during the regular season, defense is not an emphasis. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Right. Except for the Knicks, you made a good point. 
Um, and, and the last thing I was going to say is, and I rarely disagree with you, but I think Aaron Rodgers is great on Jeopardy. I, I was <gasps> I was genuinely surprised how funny he is whenever they have a Packers question in there. Well, yeah. He's great. Yeah. He's great with the contestants. Um, I, I just, I, I was, if you didn't know he was such a prominent football player, you you would think he was a, a celebrity. I thought he was very um, graceful and very comfortable in his own kind of uh, suit, so to speak. Um, I, I thought he was wonderful. I just thought he was just so like, oh, yes, okay, yes, no, that is the <laughs> wrong answer. Like, come on, right? Did I not do a good impression there? Come on, he was just so non-excitable, he, he, you know? You know, he's got a dry sense of humor. I know so he does, sometimes, yes. Yeah. Yes. So um, the, he might get a little bit better, too, as he gets starts to get yeah. more comfortable on the gig. So, right. Um, that was my thoughts for today, and, and good luck and congratulations. Yeah, well, thanks, Howard. And listen, if I were a contestant and Aaron Rodgers was the host, oh, my God. First of all, my brother's a huge Packers fan. We've already established that. Can you imagine that? My brother would be like, he never wants to come to me with anything. He'd be like, oh, yeah, can I come? Can I sit in the front row for that one? Can I, can I bring a helmet for him to sign? I would want him to sign a helmet. Man, that that would be so cool. That would be so cool. But then again, it's like the people that are in Jeopardy, like they don't really like most of them anyway, don't really like, you know, appreciate it fully. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying, right? But yeah, I, I, I he has a very dry sense of humor. Yes. Not always my type of I don't really I don't know, I don't really care for dry sense of humor. Um, I'm not a fan of The Office. Go ahead, tweet me. I don't like The Office, and that's that dry sense of humor. I just don't like it. I'm just not a fan of it. Um, but the other thing was I wanted to say was, oh, yeah, Aaron Rodgers. I guess one day I'm going to be telling somebody this story when he makes the Hall of Fame, but I'll tell you guys now. So I did a little work with the Giants What year was before COVID, so I guess the, what, the 2019 NFL season? Uh, I just did some game day um, stuff in the press box. It was an awesome experience. Loved it. Uh, if they have it this year again, I would like to do it again. Uh, so if you guys are listening, you know, I would like to work with you guys again. But the one day I was assigned to do the visiting team press conference and had to record it, then run upstairs and, and transcribe it, right? So um, the floor was the first one I got. And Aaron Rodgers was the second one that I got or had to get, right? So I'm standing there in this little room. It was a little, little, tiny little room. And maybe with maybe 10 other people, maybe 13 other people. And I'm standing right in the doorway because that's where I was standing. And Aaron Rodgers walked in. And it was that snowy game. There was a snow game. And they were, like, shoveling the yard markers you know, every whatever Couple couple minutes, really. That's how bad it was coming down. And uh, when he left, you know, he, he finished whatever press conference he had. People were asking him the questions. And he, when he was leaving, I was standing kind of like right in the doorway, not on purpose, but there was all cameras and everything set up. So that's where I was standing. And uh, he looked at me and he said, uh, "Drive safe in the snow going home," or something like that. Drive safely going home in the snow. That's what it was. And I like looked at him and I said, "Thanks." And I I think I said, "You too." <laughs> it's one of those things where you like. You too. And I was like, oh, man. But he just kept going. He didn't turn around. He probably laughed after he got out the door or, or or right as soon as he walked past me. But whatever. That's a cool story, and I'm sticking to it. But it was very cool. But anyway, uh, we have a quick update from Seth Cantor coming your way in, in momentarily. And more, maybe if, if you want to do Jets and Giants draft talk, I'm, I'm, I'm game for it. 
Or, of course, if you wanted to talk about the Yankees and their misery and their woes and the Mets got a win for Jacob deGrom, we could do that, too. back in the four o'clock hour here to McCartan, I guess in the morning now here on the fan, or maybe you're just tuning in. Welcome to the show. If you're tuning back in, welcome back to the show. Main topic driving tonight. We're weaving some other things in and out, but the main dominant topic for tonight is what is wrong with the New York Yankees? Well, I have a lot of things that could be wrong with the New York Yankees and you guys have been chiming in as well. If you want to be part of the show, it's 877 877- 337-6666 is the phone number. We've got uh, one line open. It has your name all over it. We'll get to the calls quickly in one second here. <clears throat> Excuse me. If you guys wanted to tweet me, maybe you're working, maybe you are don't want to wake up your whole house, you can always tweet me at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. Got a couple good ones tonight that I've read on air. Uh, another long one just came through, and I can't read that right now as I'm talking here, but... Um, and that's sometimes when I like hesitate. I'm reading something. I'm reading a tweet uh, that that's coming through live. So what is wrong with the Yankees? I mean, they're just not putting together full, complete games. And you really need to when you aren't hitting. I mean, there's zero margin for error. And I saw something where, where two scouts were asked, what's wrong with the Yankees? That same question. One of them said they've won a lot of games over the past few years and it might be a case of they're just working out the kinks early in the season. Well, that would be the best-case scenario for Yankee fans, right? Um, and that scout said they just haven't had that confident vibe that you usually sense from them. And that has been a little strange to me, said the scout. Then a second scout said, It's hard to win when you're not getting much help from your starters. It can affect a ball club in a lot of different ways. The Yankees are built to hit for power and score runs. But the mindset can be a little different if you're falling behind early and there's pressure to score. We've talked about that in the open. The Yankees have fallen behind often in the games that they've played. But there, again, is zero margin for error with these teams. And listen, base running, base running is such a little thing, but it's such a big thing. I mean, think about Saturday's game, another base running blunder by Gary Sanchez. I mean, okay. There was a major pop fly behind the catcher. I forget who hit it, right? But the catcher, you know, he's waiting for the ball to come down. He had his back turned to the field. Gary Sanchez is on second base. The third baseman crept up. I don't don't know why to back up the catcher. I don't know why, but there wasn't anybody covering third base. And that's a really tough throw and catch. Well, We'll take the throw first. That's a really tough throw for a catcher to make. And then it's a real it's a tough tag to place down on the moving runner while you're moving. It, it was the uh I guess it was the shortstop that was running alongside Gary Sanchez for a few paces. I mean, it was it would have been a foot race. It, it's 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 a impo- it's a not impossible. It's a very difficult play to make. And Gary Sanchez instead took about three steps. And, re- and retreated back to second base. And there was literally nobody covering third. So so those are the kind of things, like, you can't be making those mistakes. Like, like what are they doing at practice <laughs> is what I want to know. It's not the first time. So there was zero margin for error. And 
I think that's part of the, the one of the main reasons why the Yankees also are not playing up to snuff. They're, they're just making errors that they shouldn't be making because their offense isn't good enough to mask them, if that makes sense. All right, let's go back to the phones. 877-337-6666. But you guys already know that. Brooklyn, Stewart, you're on the fan. Morning, Coach. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? Oh, not bad. It, uh, they're getting to be... It's getting to be very annoying with the base running errors, without the clutch hitting. Mm-hmm. And... I don't know. Somebody mentioned launch angle. Please, why don't they just concentrate on making contact? Agreed. Keep the line moving, please. Agreed. Get the starters with with this hundred pitch count. It makes me crazy because I was wondering what would Bob Gibson tell the manager or Tom Seaver or Jerry Kuzman or anybody from that era, or even going up to let's say Greg Maddox or Roger Clemens era. What well, would they say to their manager? Well, you know what? Oh, they came guess out what? the pitches. Right. Well, guess what? Tony La Russa, who is managing the White Sox, what do they have? Two two no hitters on the complete game, no hitters on the White Sox? I mean, I mean, Tony La Russa is old school. Uh, that's what I'm saying. And yeah. they should go back to old school. Enough with the bullpen. For God's sakes. Come on, Jacob DeGrom on opening day, 77 pitches. Yeah. Okay, where, what's going on here? Do you know what's killing baseball? The batters should stay in the box unless they have something in their eye or they have an injury, whatever. Then they'll tell the pitcher to keep on throwing, pitching, 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 stay in the box, and analytics, for God's sakes, go home. Take a walk, <laughs> because analytics is what's killing the game. And the, the runner on second base, Daniel, in the 10th inning, Michael Case said the 12th inning would be more suitable. Also, seven-inning doubleheaders, you eliminate that. You know why? Because I remember games... The thing is, if they would stay in the box, we don't get out for, unless you have something in your eye or you're hurting the pitcher, pitcher the ball, the game would be minimum 45 minutes faster because there would, there would be action. And stop with the launch angle, guys. Get base hits, driving runs. Let's have some action. Bunting, hitting runs, stealing bases. I mean, the game has become so homogenized. I mean, it's, it's, it's boring to watch. It's really boring to watch. Because you want to know, the game, the game is becoming too homogenized. And I don't know what they're trying to do. Get the younger fan. The younger fans are not coming either. Are they? Uh, no, Stuart. Where they're going? They're going to lacrosse is where they're going. Yeah, they're going to lacrosse. They're going to games that have action, mm-hmm. suspense, uh, you know. But, you know, but there was a lot of action. And even football. Football is getting, it's, it's like the Jets have that second round trick thing. I would agree with you on they should have kept Sam Donald and gotten that tight end. Mm-hmm. What's his name? Kyle, Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts? Yep. Sure, what? Sam Donald, three years. What, who did he have for a coach? Todd Bowles, a defensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. Thank God he was with Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Adam, Adam Gay, the yeah. so, so-called quarterback whisperer. Yeah. What, what did he do? He yeah. ruined Sam Donald. He did. Period. Yep. He took him to the dump. Yep. And dumped them there. And you want to know what? I think they should have given them one more, like you said, one more year. Yep. What would be so bad about that? Get Kyle Pitts, get a couple offensive linemen, get him some weapons, and see if he can do it. If not, then you cut ties. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, Stuart, that uh, ship has sailed, unfortunately, for you and for me and for Sam Darnold. Although he was kind of happy. But um, the pitch, you know what what kills me with, with baseball and slowing everything down? The pitching changes. The mound visits. That's 
the built-in commercials, the built-in TV timeouts, that's what kills me. It's not the game. You know what I'm saying? It's like when they make the pitching changes and they have to go to 5,000 commercials in the meantime. I mean, that's, that's you know, it, it's it's like what's the watchability factor of the game versus the speed of the game versus the integrity of the game? And you mentioned that the runner on second rule. Okay, I might be in the minority opinion here and the seven-inning um, doubleheaders. But everybody has to keep in mind that this is just a COVID protocol thing. Like, I am sure in the next CBA, which is up at the end of this year, the collective bargaining agreement, that they are going to do away with this. Think about it. You don't want the first game of uh, of, uh, of doubleheader to go into 12 innings. You don't want that. You don't want it if you're a player. You don't want it if you're a manager. You really don't want it if you're a fan either. Because it's about preserving, because, how, how do I say it? It's about preserving the health of mainly the pitcher. Can you imagine catching uh, a 12-inning game followed by another extra innings game? Like, you, you just can't. So, in the times that we're in right now, I'm okay with the runner on second, which, by the way, it's an international rule in softball already. And I'm okay with that for, for now, for this season. And I'm also okay with with the seven-inning um, doubleheaders for now. Once this is all over with, hopefully by next year, we are all, everybody's back to complete normal, full stadiums, et cetera. Then you do away with it. But for right now, I know I'm in the minority opinion, but for right now, it is what it is. And I know the pitchers are annoyed with it, that they're already starting the inning with a runner in scoring position. I know they're annoyed with it. Think about a team like the Yankees, where they have to bullpen every damn game. That would be pretty taxing on on the bullpen, wouldn't it? That it just it also it brings to the forefront situational hitting. And I guess if you're a Yankee fan, you're really not a fan of that sec- runner on second rule because the Yankees really can't situationally hit just yet, or they can't find a guy to do it, or the correct batting order to to generate it. I don't know. That's just me. Valley Stream, we go. Frank, you're on the fan. Hey, Danielle. How you doing? I'm good, Frank. What's up? Nothing much. You know, we were talking, you know, I know you're talking about the Yankees, but just baseball in general. Yeah. It's funny. The, the first, like, I, I know you're a coach. I coached for a long time. Mm-hmm. I mean, as a coach, one of the things that I would definitely have on my radar would be if there were seven inning games as a Met manager, I would have Jacob DeGrom pitch seven inning games. Yes. I mean, it's complete games. Sense. Yeah, I mean, because he could pitch a complete game. He'll give a rest to the bullpen. Mm-hmm. Everything will be perfect. Mm-hmm. Now, yesterday's game, you know, I get a text from one of my friends. He says, Jacob Graham got nine strikeouts in a row, so I turned the game on. Yeah. So I watched the, where all the action was. So, I mean, he gives up a, a ground ball. Now, think about this. There were 17 strikeouts. So that means that out of 21 outs, yes. four were made in the field. Of the four that were made in the field, okay, um, they had the ground ball up the middle, which they flubbed. The, the triple off the top of the fence, mm-hmm. I thought Conforto played that terrible. Yep. And the, the throw to home was a miscue. Mm-hmm. So really, the way the state of baseball, and you were talking about base running mistakes, the state of baseball right now, I don't think anybody knows fundamentals anymore. Because yeah. as a coach, I looked at that whole inning and I said, 
this is a disaster. Yeah. And then I, Jacob Degrom actually lost it a little bit. I mean, he did that not 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 on the field, you know, emotionally. I mean, he you did. never see him do that. Never. I mean, he just. I mean, he just when he made that throw and he had to back that up, he just had to walk away for a second. Like, what the is going on here? Yep. I mean, I can't even catch a break here. I mean, yep. one one I thought maybe I could win this game, and now I'm down. I mean, I, 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 the chances of them winning that game at that point. I mean, if you put a bet on it, you would be smiling, but yeah. I mean, you would think, oh, God, this is no good. Yep. I mean, so, the, the, like I said, the state of baseball with the strikeouts and the way they play the game now, you're talking about situational hitting, mm-hmm. which is really a joke because nobody does it. Yep. I mean, a runner on second, you really should bump them to third, especially if you're a home team. Correct. I mean, if it's a, if it's a you know, a tie game going mm-hmm. into you, because yep. look at how many chances you got to score the run. They don't even try to do that. Nope. I mean, they don't even, it's not even on the agenda to do that. So, nope. I mean, it's just the whole game is altogether different. It really is. And as a coach, it drives you crazy because there's a million ways to win baseball games, but they're, 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 they're making it just one now. Hit a home run, a two-run homer, a three-run homer, and strike out everybody. Yep. And you can't hit, and, and Frank, you still can't hit a seven-run home run. You know what I'm saying? So, Get yep, on base, yep. move the runner over. I, you know, DJ LeMahieu got paid as one of the best free agent uh, position players because he can do that. Like, why aren't right. more guys learning how to? Put pressure on the, on the defense. I mean, the Mets lost the World Series back when because the Kansas City Royals put the ball in play yeah. and made the Mets defense show up. Otherwise, them other teams they played struck out, and the Mets got by them because they strike out everybody. They had that year; they had all pitches that strike out. Once the team put the ball in play, you know that was that was the end of it. I mean, so I mean, it's just amazing that people don't put balls. How many balls are really in play during the course of a game now? I mean, it, it's really unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, I used to look all the time: is there more strikeouts or more hits per game? And it's not even close anymore. Yeah. I mean, you you if you look at the box scores and you say. Every game you look at, more teams struck out than got base hits mm-hmm. on every box score, almost every box score yeah. in the major leagues. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's really sickening. Yeah, and Frank, and thanks for the call. I appreciate it from, you know, also from a coaching perspective. And, and I'm just watching on TV. They're showing the, the Detroit Tigers and Oakland A's game. You know, the spin rate on these baseballs is, is also out of control, and that's another contributing factor to why – there's so many more strikeouts, right? Because the dimensions of, of the field haven't changed. However, they're using pine tar like a, a, in a ridiculous amount. And it's, it looks like some of these pitchers, like like Trevor Bauer, it looks like watching wiffle ball practice. Uh, you know, trying to hit a wiffle ball, some of these guys. It's just, you know, if, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I guess, again, going back to is it a too long of a game or it's just a boring game? I think that if you had more hits and more action on the base paths and all that stuff, I think a four-hour game would be tolerable. However, if it's just strikeout, a home run potentially, right, one of two outcomes every time a batter steps to the plate, it's not too interesting. And a four-hour game would be brutal at that point. Right? And uh, Yankees fans, some of you need to learn some class. My message to them and those like them coming up.
This is John Sterling. Listen to Yankees Rays Baseball today on The Fan at 105 with Yankees pregame at 1225 driven by Jeep. The game can be heard in its entirety on Sports Radio 66 WFAN AM and streaming on WFAN.com. Now we'll join the Nets and Miami Heat at 320 on Sports Radio 1019 FM and streaming on WFAN2.com. Well, Yankee fans certainly have high hopes for their team every single year. 2021 is no different, by the way. But we were going with the the Jay-Z vibe before, and as I signed off right before that last break here, I, I had a line from a Jay-Z song just pop into my head. Um, the line is, it's a Jay-Z and T.I. song, and it's called Swagger Like Us. It's a good song, actually. I might play it on the way out of here tonight. But the line is, You can pay for school, but you can't buy class. And Yankee fans, you got to learn some class. Some of you guys need to learn some class. I don't care how frustrated you are and how with how high hopes you have for your team. Throwing baseballs on the field at Yankee Stadium, it's just flat out low class. I mean, if you're watching the game Friday night, baseballs came raining down in the bottom of the eighth inning. Clint Frazier was at the plate. You saw Aaron Boone with his arms crossed, shaking his head like an annoyed, disappointed father on the top step of the dugout, looking up into the crowd, scowling. Honestly, though, it's it's really, it's not a good look, to be honest. It's trashy. It's dangerous. And you know what? Instead of throwing baseballs onto the field, you know what you could do? Bring a sign. Those don't hurt anyone, maybe someone's feelings, but not physically. And also, signs convey the the message much clearer, too. You might even get on TV while you're at it, for good reasons, I guess, rather than being escorted out of the stadium for throwing a baseball, a projectile, onto the field. Honestly, those people, it's not hard to spot you out. (laughs) Stadium's operating at, what, a 20, 25% capacity? It's easy to figure out who you are. You should receive a lifetime ban from Yankee Stadium. I'm sorry. It's just, it's unacceptable. It's it's low class, trashy, and just flat out dangerous to the players that are on the field. I'm sorry. Sorry, not sorry. Right? All right, back to the calls. 877-337-6666. Keeping in mind, it will be joined by John Schmelk at 440. Eric in Von Konkuma, you are on the fan. Hey, Daniel. Good morning. How are you doing today? I'm great. How are you? Good, good. Um, let's, I want to talk a couple things on baseball, but just real quick. Uh, absolutely no Odell. Coming to the Jets, I don't. I don't want that element on that. Jet. Come on, he's an explosive player. What? what was that? He's an explosive player. Don't give up on talent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know what? I that that's fine. I saw. I've seen him play. I don't want him on it. Uh, I'll, I'll leave it at that. All right. Um. Uh, okay. <clears throat> Look, launch angle and exit velo to me are the two most useless stats for baseball that I could think of. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm curious to who even thought of the idea of coming up with this to begin with, because I mean, look, look at it this way. Dude, I think it was the, the home opener for the Mets this year when McNeil hit the home run, right? I think at the, the bottom of the, uh, the ninth, I think it was. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Yeah. You know, right. Okay. I mean, it was a no doubter when he hit it. Okay. Did anyone really care how fast it left the stadium? <laughs> 
or, you know, or the launch angle. I mean, it was in the upper deck mm-hmm. you know, practically. Okay. That's all I, I mean, you know, you, you could tell when someone gets a hold of one, you know, you pretty much give the, oh my, oh my God, you know, look at, look at that shot kind of thing. Yeah. You know, you're not sitting there with a, with a stopwatch trying to time how fast the leaks. I mean, yeah. But, or, or like, oh, he, he lined out the third base, but he hit it 115 miles an hour. Who cares? It's still an out. Right. The, the, the guy caught the ball. I mean, unless he's got an imprint in the middle of his palm, you know, <laughs> for the, for the ball hitting him that hard. And I'm sure you, I'm sure you've experienced that getting, uh, you know, catching a ball yep. hard in the glove. Oh yeah. Where, you know, it hurts your hand. Okay. Yeah. I, 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 I understand that. I mean, I played baseball when I was younger, but you know, I mean, I, but it, it didn't impress. I mean, uh, you know, short of maybe being a pitcher and, and having a ball hit right at you, you know, where I can understand that uh, aspect of it. I mean, I, I could care less how hard it's, it's leaving the, the stadium. I mean, yeah. or I mean, you know, a ground ball, ground ball up the middle. I mean, you know, I, I personally would rather see, you know, a guy like you and you mentioned Nimmo spraying the ball all over the place. Mm-hmm. Well, McNeil when he when he's on. He, hit the ball and, you know, against the shift and other things like that. That's what I care about. I care about, you know, being productive. I don't care, you know, uh, uh, if it's 150 miles an hour or, or um, a swinging bunt, as long as it works. But say it again. I lost it. For a oh yeah. You cut out for a second. Or I said, you said whatever. And I said, yeah, or, or a swinging bunt, whatever counts, whatever gets you on base. Right. Yeah. I I just, I, 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 you know, and it's it's stuff like this which I think is ruining the game because you 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 pay people are looking for you know stats that really don't have any real impact on the game. I mean, you know, do the do the Yankees really Yankee fans really care right now? You know, if if uh, Judge is hitting the ball, you know, is you know, harder than anyone else, or nope. the fact that they have a losing record. Nope. I mean, what what, what do you think is more important than that? The fact that they have a losing record Correct. right now. Yep. I mean. So that, that that's all that really should matter. I mean, I, like I said, whoever whoever thought that these these stats were important, I, I'm really curious to find out what, what's going through their head. But yeah. uh, huh. I just wanted to throw that out there because I mean, you know, it, look, if it was boxing, and and you had like the fastest knockout or or a jab to you know, something like that, you know, that that's a skill set important right. to the the craft that you're doing. You right. know, that, but but these other things really have nothing to do with the game. But yeah. uh, just another anyway, way. I just wanted to throw yeah. that out there. Yeah, have a good rest of the day, Daniel. Thanks, Eric. You too. Yeah, just another way to, to qualify and qu- quantify, you know what I'm trying to say, the data, right? Uh, you know what, though? As you were talking, Eric, I, I just thought of something. Launch angle. It's always been talked about, though. And what I, what I mean when I say that is, right? Even when we were all kids, you want to swing flat, straight, through the ball, line drives. That's a launch angle. It's just not the launch angle of a home run hitter. Same kind of concept. Graham in Allendale, New Jersey. You're up on the fan. Hey, Danielle. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing fine. Just uh, I'm going I'm to try to keep my uh, Yankee emotions out of it. Yeah. But um, when it comes to the sabermetrics, you know, I, I keep hearing callers talking about like exit VLO, launch angle, and um, at the end of the day, the metrics are there for a reason because over the last 20 years, teams have been winning because of these statistical things. Um, even beyond that, you know, everybody would love to say, oh, 
you know, everybody loves DJ LeMay, who, you know, hits the ball to every part of the field, you know, contact hitter, doesn't strike out a lot. But, you know, the guy's still making $10 million a year less than Giancarlo Stanton over a five-year contract. You know, Stanton's making 30 over 12. If you're a player, what are you going to do? Are you going to try to be DJ LeMahieu? We're going to try to be Stanton and make that money and hit the home runs. Yeah, I think we're at, that's a good point. I think we're at a sort of turning or tipping point, though, because those contracts of those guys like Stanton, I think, are on the outs, you know? And DJ LeMahieu is the most coveted free agent this offseason. Why? Because he can spread the ball all over the field. I would love to see how this translates to Michael Conforto today. Hit right into the shift. Scott Boris dude. So let's see what, what kind of money he garners. But um yeah, I think we're at we're at a tipping point here in the game of baseball. I I I, I, I will say that. I mean I mean I really hope so. Um I don't know, you know, what you were doing during uh COVID, but when like the very first sporting event to come back was the Korean baseball league and they were playing games at three, five in the morning. Yeah. I I tuned in mm-hmm. and no, these guys don't throw a hundred. They don't hit the ball four fifty. Most balls are in play. Mm-hmm. They can all field. And it was it was actually a lot of fun to watch. Mm-hmm. You know, I think baseball's gotten away from that. Yeah. And then uh, one last quick point, I'll let you go. Yeah. The the one thing with, with metrics is they're supposed to compensate over the long term, five, six hundred at bats, hundred and sixty two games, XYZ. You know, and we've we've seen that backfire in the postseason. And 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 I know that there are metrics that quote unquote compensate for the clutch factor, the clutch hit. It's BS. You can't mathematically define what it feels like knowing you're on national television, elimination game, bottom of the ninth, or in second two holes. Mm-hmm. I mean, how does sabermetrics explain that Mariano Rivera is the greatest reliever in, in all time, you know, in baseball, and his numbers are twice as good in the postseason? You can't mathematically yeah. define. You can't. That's a that's a great point there. Yeah, and it's just and thanks, Graham, for the call. Um, that's why I I always am a proponent of the how should I say it? the the balance between gut calls and um and the analytics. Okay, let's go right in the order that you guys call and get one more in before the interview here. John in Staten Island, it's you. <laughs> Oh my God! I got through. You're I in. Hit You're in. <laughs> How's it going? I'm good. How are you? Thank God for the Grom's win. Oh my God! I, I go crazy because he's so great and they never score a run. Oh. All right. Today they did though. Come on. How how exhilarating oh, yeah. was yeah, that? Thank God. <laughs> and he helps himself out. It's like offensively. He's, he's batting. You know, he he's batting five seventy one. Jacob Degrom is. <laughs> Oh, they ain't hitting yet, but you know what? That, you got to give them time. People go crazy. So, you know, I'm not know. listening to, you know, every time, oh, when should be getting no. no, he got two big hits yesterday. He's not going to hit, you know, 40 homers. Yeah, right. But he does everything else. He yeah. makes them so good, you know. They just, you know, you need Conforto to, to start doing anything, you know. He's not doing anything. I know. Nemo's unreal. He's just so fun. To Everybody watch. wanted to ship him out this offseason. I might have been the only one that wanted to keep him here at this place. I, I don't know. I'm just uh, saying they that. Love but... him too. He's a likable player. He gives you so many qualities. Love him. Love him. He's yeah, my favorite he, man. He puts the ball in play. I mean, 
They even Gilmore, I love him. You know, the guy is always putting the ball in play. You need guys like that. And I mean, hustling. I love Alonzo. Mm-hmm. But how many big strikeouts they keep getting? Move the runners. Do yeah. something. Don't always strike out. I think Alonzo's ready to break out from what I've seen today, for sure. But- yeah, he did have a couple of strikeouts, though, big spots, though. But, you know, I, I can't kill him, but... Like, you know what? It's so tough to keep playing doubleheaders, you know. But yeah, oh, I know. You know, uh, oh, I know. They brought in the back of the bullpen. Uh, you know, first game I thought he managed great. Yes. You know, even McCann. McCann got two big last two games. He's come too big. Yep. You know, he he started that whole inning. Yep, he did. So, he definitely. Yeah, that that was the that was the inning. And John, I gotta let you go because we gotta run to the interview. But uh, I think a, a lot of positive things or a positive mojo is moving in the Mets' direction. I think. Uh, you know, McNeil's been frustrated at the plate. I, I think this might be a little bit of a breakout for him. Uh, Brandon Nimmo right now is on the TV right now. Career at Coors Field, 375 average. He grew up a, a Colorado Rockies fan, by the way. Did you guys know that? Um, he grew up in, oh, what was it? Is it Wyoming? I think it's Wyoming. Brandon Nimmo, my favorite Met of, uh, you know, I don't want to say of all time, but this current team, he is my favorite Met. I'm so glad they haven't traded him. I'm so glad he's worked much harder to get where he is. And he is a terror. He is a true leadoff batter that the Yankees don't seem to have. Some NFL draft talk, specifically with the New York Football Giants with John Schmelk, coming up next on The Fan. Daniel McCartan, Sports Radio 101.9 Rolling along here on McCartan After Midnight on The Fan, we're joined by John Schmelk, good friend of the show, reporter, producer, podcast host for the New York Football Giants. John, welcome to the show. I appreciate your time. Thanks for having me, Danielle. I appreciate it. Before we even start talking about the draft, we, we kind of have to go into the Giants offseason additions, subtractions, just to kind of set up the team heading into the draft. So who do you think was the Giants' most significant acquisition this offseason? I mean, I think it was Kenny Galladay. I think that was a move they had to make, whether it was getting a top wide receiver in the draft or in for agency, and that was a big need, and I think they filled that one. So I think that was very important. I thought number two in that list was Adoree Jackson because that second cornerback spot was also, in my opinion, a pretty big need. They filled that too. So I think they filled their two major needs. Uh, In order to do that, they had to let go of Kevin Zeitler, which kind of opens up a need, I think, at guard on the offensive line. But I think those two moves in the offseason by Dave Gettleman really set the Giants up in number 11 where they don't have to go a certain direction or they can really just pick the best player that's left on the board. The Giants were 26th in the league. I look it up. Red zone offense in 2020. 26th. And I know he's coming off the foot surgery. Kyle Rudolph, I guess, brings just an air about him in the red zone that opposing defenses just have to account for in a game plan. No? Yeah, I mean, I think his. I think you brought it up perfectly. I think the red zone is where he does his damage. He's got great hands. He has a huge catch radius. He makes difficult catches. He had, I think, four or five straight years where he had at least five receiving touchdowns. And the red zone is an area where the Giants had struggled last year. So, yeah, the Giants are going to use two tight end sets, I think, more this year with, with Rudolph and Ingham than they used last year. And in that way, Rudolph, I think, will be a very effective red zone threat uh, next to Evan Ingram, who's probably a better guy to stretch the field a little bit. Right. Now, you mentioned Zeitler. He had only missed five games in his entire career, allowed only two sacks last year, and committed only four penalties all in, I think it was 1,003 snaps. Is he the guy that the team is going to miss the most? Yeah, I think if you look at the losses this offseason, I think that's the biggest one. I mean, you can make the argument that he was the team's best offensive lineman last year. So now you're left with two young guys, Will Hernandez, who lost his job midseason. Now that could be COVID-related, too. We don't know how he really bounced back from that. And Shane Lemieux, who was a rookie fifth-round pick last year. So you put those two things together, 
And you have, I think, a need at guard. You know, they they brought in a couple of veterans that are, you know, low-end starter, high-end backup type players. They brought in Fulton. They brought in Harrison from the uh, Texans and Jets, respectively. But I think that's a spot where you could try to find an upgrade at some point in the draft. And the thing with guard, too, Danielle, it doesn't necessarily have to be a first or second round pick. There's going to be a good starting quality guard probably on the board with the Giants' third round selection. So I can understand, too. Could you describe what the Giants' defensive scheme is or will be this upcoming season? Yeah, I think that's an interesting question. You know, last year, I think dictated by personnel, Patrick Graham went with a very zone-heavy scheme. He blitzed a decent amount on third down. Not a ton, but enough. But, you know, they don't have that traditional edge rusher to, to constantly pressure off the edge. They had Leonard Williams had a big year, but, you know, he's still not that A-plus edge guy. So they had the blitz, and they had really good safeties. They had a guy like Logan Ryan who was really good at disguising. They didn't have that really good second corner. So it made sense for them to be a heavy zone team. And they did a bend-but-don't-break type of strategy. Right. But... Patrick Graham also comes from the Bill Belichick school. And if you go down all of the Bill Belichick disciples, how he usually likes to play up in New England, they want to play a lot of bump and run man and blitz on third down and send linebackers to bring extra pressure. So I think it'll be interesting to see with the addition of Dory Jackson, if that sends Graham a little bit back to his roots in terms of how he's going to play in the secondary. We have not seen them step on the field yet since all these changes, so I don't think there's a way to know. But I do think that's one interesting thing that I'll be keeping an eye on this offseason. Defensively, right? Let's say the Giants, and we'll talk about the first round in a second, but if the Giants do end up going defensively in the first round, is there a chance that if the best player available doesn't fit the scheme or the idea, would the Giants pass on him or would they like make him fit? I think what Patrick Graham is good at and something that Joe Judge preaches on both sides of the ball is that you do not pick your scheme and then force your players into your scheme. You pick a player and then you put him in a position where you can do the things that he is good at. So I think if they see a player that they believe has a skill set that works, they will figure out a way to use him in in their system. So I don't think they will cross players off because they not a quote-unquote fit. Uh, in terms of scheme, might they cross a player off because they don't like his character or would fit the culture? Yeah, I think that's a bigger possibility than going the other way. We're talking with John Schmelk, host of the Giants Huddle podcast on Giants.com right here on the fan. Okay, let's let's talk about the draft. Let's talk about round one first. There are five players in this draft that the NFL itself labels as having pro bowl talent, which is the highest mark for any player in this order. Trevor Lawrence, Kyle Pitts, Devontae Smith, wide receiver, Jamar Chase, wide receiver, and Patrick Sertain at cornerback. If any of these players are, in fact, available, will the Giants go best available at 11? Yeah, look, obviously, I don't know what the Giants front office is thinking, so I'm going to give you what I think and all my research and and stuff has told me because we're not still in the building, although the COVID stuff, so we're all kind of in in a situation and we're all kind of locked out. But in my opinion, I think those guys are all blue chippers. I think Patrick Sertan might be on the outside looking into that group. I think I've talked to, boy, probably more than a dozen former NFL personnel people over the course of the last month. I've had Lewis Riddick on the Giants Little Podcast. Abundant Brian brought us a former scout. And it seems to me that the consensus blue chip prospects in this class are, I'm going to throw quarterbacks out because the Giants aren't going there, right? So right. Pitts, the three wide receivers, Chase, Smith, and Waddle, throw in the two offensive linemen, Rashawn Slater and Penny Sewell. And then this is where you get some depending on who you talk to type of scenario, right? Some people have Micah Parsons in that group. I would say more often than not. Some people have Patrick Sertan in that group, but not all the time. Okay. So I think 
That's why when you look at some of these mock drafts, you're seeing nine, eight, sometimes all 10 of the first 10 players off the board in this draft could be offensive players. I don't think it's impossible. There might not be a defensive player off the board when the Giants get there. And it's actually funny. We did a, our first mock draft on Big Blue Kickoff Live on Giants.com on Friday. And we the scenario that we came up with just picking players was all those guys got wiped out. Picks was gone. All three wide receivers were gone and both offensive linemen were gone. And the Giants were sitting there and basically we had a chance to choose between Micah Parsons, Patrick Sertan, and then depending on what you think of that next group of offensive linemen, Elijah Vera Tucker or someone like that, Christian Darasaw. And we ended up going with Parsons because we thought he was the best player on the board. But I think that's when you get to the point where, oh, can you trade down to 15? Can you think about one of the offensive linemen? For me, if one of those playmakers or offensive linemen, those six guys I mentioned are there, you run to the podium, you take them. If they're all wiped out, that's when you start talking about seeing if someone wants to pick up the phone and, and, and move up with you. Yeah, and that, that's a great segue because, you know, I, I was thinking, I kind of tried to project it out myself a little bit. For me, I, I think I had available at 11 for the Giants if they had to choose between Parsons, linebacker, listed as a linebacker, or Waddle, wide receiver, which way would you go? I would go Waddle. I, I think the most important thing this season, besides winning games, which is always the most important thing, Danielle, is making sure you put as good of a situation around Daniel Jones as possible. Uh, if I had my choice between, between Waddle and either Sewell or Slater, by the way, I'd pick one of the offensive linemen. But if those guys are wiped out, I would pick the wide receiver next. The reason I would is you want to give Jones the best chance to succeed as possible. So you don't get to the end of the year and you say, well, if we had this or done that, could Jones have been better? You want to be left without a shadow of a doubt. And I think that's what my goal is for this draft. And what you like about Waddle specifically, and I'll talk about Smith too, if you want, is that, Waddle can fit into any one of these spots, all right, except for Kenny Galladay's. If Sterling Shepard, who does have an injury history, he's only played 16 games twice in his career. If he has to miss four or five games, put him into the slot. Boom, you're good. If Darius Slayton, your outside deep threat, he gets banged up. You know, Waddle's got deep speed. All right, put him outside. Boom, he's good to go. You can move him anywhere, and he'd then be the only receiver on the team as well that you can throw that little wide receiver screen to, and he's so fast and so elusive, he can turn a two-yard pass into an 80-yard gain. Mm -hmm. And then Devontae Smith is just an unbelievable route runner and things like that, and he would be you can fit him anywhere, slot outside, wherever you want to put him. So that's why I think in the modern NFL, even though I don't think the Giants are going to be doing a lot of four wide receiver sets, I still think that would be the right place to go. Yeah, I mean, they could, but so now I just had a question pop into my sure. mind out, out of Smith, Chase and Waddle, what would be like your hierarchy for the three of them? If you know, they're available for the giants, any one of them. Well, I would put Pitts first. I know you didn't ask for that, but well, I'll put Pitts first. Yeah. I will put Jamar Chase second. And that's an easy one for me. Okay. And then I have kind of Smith and Waddle, frankly, even, I think it's almost like a chef's choice scenario because they're both very good. They're just good in different ways. I talked about Waddle. Smith is more of that technician, more of that route runner. He can win in a million different ways, while Waddle's more of a speed guy, more explosive, things like that. So I think it depends what your need is. If I'm starting a team, I would probably take Devontae Smith first. I'm not as worried about the 170-pound thing. I think he'll be okay. Yeah. Um, I, he was healthy in college. I just, I just don't, I don't see the issue come up on tape. So if you worry about durability, you know, injuries, who can predict him anyway? He's never been hurt. I, I like him as a player. I think the Marvin Harrison and Isaac Bruce comparisons are fair. 
He's very good. So I would go Smith first because I value route running and the art of the receiver position, which I think he's a better player in that way than Waddle is. Yeah, the art of. I like that. Okay, so beyond uh, the first round, Giants hold picks number 42, 76, 116, 196, 201. Give me, I guess, their hierarchy of roster needs beyond that pick. My stock answer to this is that you do not pick positions you pick players so i think that's going to dictate where you go and i'll go back to that mock draft we did on big blue kickoff live i had to pick the giant second round pick we had picked parsons in the first round and i looked at who was on the board and i was unimpressed with the wide receivers that were left i think seven had gone off the board already by the time the giants got to 42 mm-hmm. and i didn't like any of those guys i didn't think they were worth the bang for the buck so i'm sitting there and i'm like all right do i go edge rusher or do i go offensive line There were a good number of offensive linemen left, but there are only probably two or three edge guys left that I thought were really good. I think six edge rushers had gone off the board already, including Joe Tryon. He was the last one that had gone. So I had a decision to make, and it was tough. It was like, do I pick the edge rusher here? Because I know if I don't get one here, I'm not getting one, right? Right. You're not getting that edge rusher in the second round. They're going to get wiped out. It's not that deep of a class. You got to pick some kind of developmental guy you got to wait on. While I think offensive line is really important, I feel pretty good about being able to get a guy that can play guard for me at a pretty high level in round three. Mm -hmm. So I went with the pass rusher, Joseph Asai, in that spot, only because I was confident that I could get that offensive guard in round number three because of the depth of the class. It's a very deep offensive line class. I like the class a lot. That's why I think you can't say this is my order priority with positions because depending on the players and the class and how the draft is going, that's going to dictate what you do as much as you need. We're talking with co-host of Big Blue Kickoff Live for the New York Giants. We're joined by John Schmelk here on The Fan. Why I wanted you on, like me, I know you're a research numbers guy. Combined with the eye test, the film study, I love it. Um, Offensive lineman, then. Um, Who do you like? In what order? Going from the top? Yeah. I mean, I I think Slater is the best technical offensive lineman in the draft. Like, if you want a guy that knows how to play the position, he'll get in there and go right away. Penny Sewell is just a monster. I mean, he's 340 pounds, and as a 19-year-old, he dominated college football. What is he going to do when he's 23 or 24? I mean, if you go back, you know, when the Cowboys picked Tyron Smith, he was a 19-year-old out of USC, right? And look what he turned into. Is that what's going to happen with Penny Sewell? So if, I, if I'm picking first, I'm probably picking Sewell first, and then Slater's a quick second. After that, you want to do mostly tackles? You want me to throw guards into the mix too? Well, while I have you. Do both. So I think a lot of these guys are multi-positional. I think Darisol is an aspects tackle. Vera Tucker to me is an aspects guard. I think both those guys will go between 10 and 20. I think Tevin Jenkins out of Oklahoma State, probably a right tackle, could move into guard. He's probably in that 15 to 20 range, I would say. And this is when it gets interesting because that next group is gigantic. It's huge. Landon Dickerson, Alabama. He's got two ACLs in college, another injury, a lot of injury problems, but he's a great player. Plays guard center. Creed Humphreys, Oklahoma, guard center, really nice player. Uh, Then you get a little deeper into the glass here. I'm, I'm going to look at my notes here just so I can give you names. The next group of tackles is interesting. I think a lot of these guys do a position flex. Alex Leatherwood out of, out, of, out of Alabama. I think he's more of a guard, but he played tackle at Alabama his whole career. Good player. Sam Cosme out of Texas. He can do both. Was a tackle in college. I think he can go into guard. Um, you have Eichenberg out of Notre Dame. He's another guy that was a tackle at Notre Dame. I think he'll be a right tackle in the pros, but he can certainly go in and play guard. And then his teammate, um, Banks, out of Notre Dame. Aaron Banks, he's another guy that can play guard and I think will be a very good player. Trey Smith out of Tennessee is a big-time guard. I think he can play. There's a lot of guys. Uh, Dylan uh, Radens out of North Dakota State, teammate of Trey Lance. I think he's a guy that's a good guard tackle flex type of player. 
Um, Jalen Mayfield out of Michigan, uh, he was a really good tackle there. He didn't test well. I think he's more of a guard. But look at all these guys I'm listing. It's a deep, deep class, which is why if the Giants don't get one of those two elite guys early, you can easily find one in the second round if you want, but you might, if, if you get brave, you want to take a little chance and roll the dice a little bit. Maybe you trade up then, you use your fourth round and move back into the top hat, back into the second round, something like that. I think you can find a, a good offensive lineman that can play guard at the top of that third round. That's some really good perspective. For the future Giants, we've kind of, you've kind of touched on it before. Daniel Jones, so everybody knows, has this season and next season on his rookie contract and then a club option for 2023. If the Giants aren't able to get a top-tier pass rusher and they are not able to get a good enough offensive lineman for him, is this the last year of prove it or we're moving on? No, I, I don't think you can say that because, look, he still has, he still has his fourth year of his rookie contract left. We don't know where the team's going to be drafting in next year's draft, right? Will they be in a position to replace him? I mean, a lot of people think next year's draft might have one top 10 quarterback, and that's it, depending on how the season goes. Now, guys can come out of nowhere, look at Zach Wilson, no idea, who knows. But, no, I don't think you can say that. You know, what happens if he gets hurt, right? What happens if he gets hurt and misses eight, nine games of the season? I mean, anything could happen. So, I don't think it's, it's fair to say that you throw him away no matter what. What I call it a make or break year. No, I would call it an extremely important year to see him develop. Because I think Daniel, a lot of people miss, even though his counting numbers are down in year two, his touchdowns and stuff like that. He cut his turnover worthy plays in half. According to pro football focus, same number of passing snaps, cut them in half. That's a big step for him. His completion percentage went up. He was one of the best deep pass throwers in terms of accuracy in the entire league. Uh, I think according to pro football focus, he was between the eighth and 10th graded passer with a clean pocket. So when you protected the kid, he played well. So I think there are things to be optimistic about. Now you want to see those improvements on the margins get reflected in production, which then turn into wins, right? So that's what you want to see this year. But I'm never one to say I'm, I'm way too into nuance to just say that if he doesn't, if they doesn't do X, Y, or Z, just throw him out. But is it a very important year for him? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, totally with you. And, and here's another thing too that kind of goes kind of under the radar. How much stock do you put into the fact that he had to learn a new Jason Garrett offense with no off-season program? I think this is a point that a lot of people seem to keep missing. No, absolutely. And I think the way Jason Garrett and Joe Judge decided the team was best able to win games last year was to play a more conservative style, which I think impacted Daniel Jones's counting stats. They decided that, look, our offensive line is struggling. If we put that kid back there to drop back 40 to 45 times, look what happened in the second half of that Cardinal game, even at the end of the year. He was getting killed. I mean, you go to the second half of that Ravens game. They were chasing him down. They were not a team that was designed to be a, a 40 to 45 pass a game type of team. So I think that pushed his numbers down a little bit. And to your point, yeah, he was learning almost a completely different system. And it is something you have to figure out. Everything last year was weird. And this year is going to be weird too. So that's part of it. So I think you hope he could pick up where he left off, continue to play well, and, and the production gets better as he has better players around him. I mean, just look at the Jets with Sam Darnold. I mean, how much of his development was affected by what was going on around him? I was a huge Darnold fan, and he has not played well. I'm not saying he's played well. He has not. But I feel a lot of times people don't like to admit that quarterbacks are a product of what's happening around them. And I think that's when we have to see how Daniel Jones does as the talent around him gets better. Yep, and that's something I, for two years, have been talking about, the, the talent around, the whole situation around Sam Darnold. I wish him well in, in, in Carolina. Yep. But finally, as we sit here today, mid-April, the sports books seem to have the Giants over-under win total pegged at seven and a half games. I'm taking the over. What about you? 
I'm taking the over, especially with 17 games, which yeah. I'm still never going to get used to. Like who goes nine and eight in a year? I, I, I just can't get over that. I was going to be hard, but look, if this team isn't over 500 this year and challenging for the division, I think it's, it's probably a disappointment. You go into a year, you are this aggressive in free agency. John Mara said he, you know, when he had his press conference a couple months ago, so I'm not speaking out of turn here. The owner basically said, I think this team is good enough to compete for a division title and a playoff spot. And if you want to compete for a division and a playoff spot, you better not go eight and nine. So I would go over there. Or leave it in the hands of the Philadelphia Eagles. Right. No, exactly right. By the way, that still bothers me how people only played that that 15-second clip of, of Joe Judge's press conference at the end of last year, and they omitted the first 30 seconds where he said this was our fault and we have to win more games and we have no one to blame but ourselves. It drives me nuts. I, I know. Selective editing. <laughs> Well, John, thanks so much for joining us tonight, and I I can't wait to die. Welcome back to McCartan in the morning here on The Fan on this Sunday, April 18th, 2021. Welcome back to those of you guys that were tuning in. Welcome in to those of you guys that are just tuning on just now. It's been a busy, busy night. Filled with Yankees baseball, some Mets stuff, and how was that interview with John Schmelk? How informative, how intelligent is he? And we've formulated a plan for the New York Giants in, in their NFL draft 2021, which is, uh, I don't know the exact day, I can't do the math in my head, but it's less than two weeks away. The Giants are going to be picking number 11 overall in the draft. Where do they go? It's pretty much up in the air, really. It sounds it sounds like they're going to go best available. What I would like them to do, and what I think the plan is going to be, uh, via Dave Gettleman, because think about it, he's he's living or dying with Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones is his guy, and yes, they've got Kenny Galladay to help him out. Yes, Saquon Barkley's coming back to help him out. I think the Giants are going wide receiver at eleven. And I could tell you who I like in that. And I, I've compiled my entire McCartan's 2021 New York Jets and New York Giants draft Bible. I have it in my hands. I'm almost, I'm like 99% of the way done with it. I still have to do some research on the on the running backs. Um, but I did do extensive research on the wide receivers. And here is the final verdict on who I think the Giants should pick at 11. I I think it's going to be, or should be, and I think he will be available because he's not seen as the best of the bunch. I'm with John Schmelk on this. Jalen Waddell. Jalen Waddell is drawing NFL scout comps to Tyreek Hill. Can you imagine what a Tyreek Hill type player would be on this Giants offense? 11 of 20 career college touchdowns went for 50-plus yards. I mean, there's just so much to like about him. I mean, these, these are the scouts' words. Cheat code speed to terrify a defense. Obliterates would-be tackle angles with the ball in his hands. These are all NFL scouts are saying this about him. Okay, some cons about him. Hasn't faced too much press coverage. Never really tested by uh, sort of press coverage in, in 2020 at the collegiate level. He did have a broken ankle, suffered while returning a kickoff. You know, broken ankle, that's not like it's a ligament damage or something like that. I'm okay with that if I were the Giants. Uh, listen, it's just Waddle would be number one for me out of Alabama. If he is not available, if someone 
on an opposing team above the Giants is listening to this show right now, then I would go second choice would be Lamar Chase for the Giants at wide receiver with the 11th overall pick. And I know this is going to draw some ire, I'm sure, but the, in my opinion, the third best of the top three of the bunch is Devontae Smith. I know, the 2020 Heisman. I know. I know. But if you guys want to talk about that, we could. Obviously, 877-337-6666 is the number, and then it's pretty much a really big drop-off from there. I do think the Giants should take a wide receiver, and in this order, it would be Waddle, Chase, Smith. It's just Chase, I mean, uh, Waddle, as as you heard John Schmelk say, he can line up pretty much anywhere. He works at all three levels. I mean, it's just, he's just electric. Hopefully he's there. And and on a lot of people's draft boards, he's the third best wide receiver. So let's keep that secret, everybody, okay? Or we could just start saying other stuff to make other teams who could be listening, we could just tell them that, oh, the other ones are so much better so that they don't go and get him. We could do that. Or we can keep the secret. Secret. It's up to you. But back to Yankee baseball. The quick snippet I played for you guys in the beginning, in the beginning, in the in the two o'clock hour when I first started the show, is a song by Demi Lovato. It's anyone, and she asks a question: "Lord, help me. Can you send me anyone? Please send me anyone. Who then is going to save the Yankees from this hellish April that they've been having?" Demi Lovato, the answer to your question, I think, is a resounding nobody. Nobody yet, right? The Yankees, the, the supposed supermen of all things offense, are again playing their kryptonite, the Tampa Bay Rays. And yeah, it's cute to use that analogy. It is. The matter of the fact is that the Rays are, or should be, the team to beat this season and coming out of the American League. Of course, they're they're reigning American League champions. The Yankees haven't really made any improvement upon their terrible performance against them last year. So, so far, here's where the Yankees are sitting. They're 1-4 against the Rays this season so far, 2021. And in those games, Tampa Bay has outscored the Yankees 32-18. to That's not rocket science. You have to outscore your opponent to win games. And furthermore, even if... The Yankees win later today on on cold day. They've lost four out of their possible five series this season. In fact, the only game, the only series that they've won was against the Baltimore Orioles, who all the prognosticators had pegged as the worst team in the league. And by the way, the Yankees did not sweep them, as you might have imagined they they should have and would have. And don't look now, but the Yankees are looking up at the Orioles in the ALE standings. And in fact. Yankees are looking up at every single team in the ALC, the ALE standings from the literal bottom of the barrel. Or should I say fifth place? Does that make you feel any better? Too bad. I'm not in that business like Aaron Boone seems to be of making anyone feel any better about their Yankee, the Yankees and their terrible, no good, very bad start to the season. You guys ever read that book in elementary school? He... Boone apparently ripped the team after Friday night's embarrassing loss. It's about time. John Carlos Stanton said he was obviously very upset and rightfully so. Stanton on Saturday, 0 for 4, three strikeouts. Clint Frazier said, we need to come ready to go on Saturday. That was the message that I took from it. Poor Clint Frazier wasn't even in the lineup. 
Clearly, Boone's tirade, which lasted a few minutes, did nothing to change the outcome with the Yankees dropping yet another one to the Rays of all teams, 6-3. to three. Saturday, in Saturday's postgame, Boone said, I feel like we were much more in the fight today. We need to play better, obviously, but that was a step in the right direction. Really, Aaron Boone? Well, I guess any game is better than the game that your team showed up and played on Friday night. But I don't know if you saw this, Aaron Boone, but on the season, your team hits 160 with runners in scoring position. In Saturday's game, they hit 143. One for seven, that is, with seven runners stranding. Can anyone please point out how Saturday's game was a step in the right direction? Gary Sanchez injured, bruised his, his, his index and middle finger because he hangs it out there. It doesn't protect it in any way when he's when he's behind the plate. He's out. You ever think you'd be missing Gary Sanchez? Well, you you would be. You will be. His bat, I should say, at least, at the very least. He's out for at least a few days. They're not going to rush him back. Glaber Torres still playing Little League defense at shortstop. Kyle Higashioka nailed a runner. Nailed a stealing runner from first to second. Had him dead in the water. All Glaber Torres had to do was catch the ball, drop the tag. I don't know what happened. He, he, he got scared. I don't know what happened to him because he got to the base. The runner was coming at him. He didn't get his glove all the way down. The ball squirted underneath his glove and into center field. Stolen base. Should have been an out. And that's part of the problem. I asked you guys on Twitter the other night, what is the problem? Is it A, the Yankees are sleepwalking at the plate? B, they're Little League errors? On the base path, it says, well, we could talk about that. Or C, the fact that at that point they had used three pitchers through five innings. And I would say it goes a lot deeper than that, and I incorporate some psychology into it, right? Boils down to this. And this this could be a main theme throughout the season. People are saying, oh, you're getting so excited. It's 14 games in, whatever it is. Okay, but the Yankees have, it's a series. It goes by series, you know. It's not like football where it's like win games, quantity of games. Sure, yes, but it goes by series. That's that's why it is the way it is. But I think this is going to be a main theme for the Yankees throughout the season. Keep an eye on it for the postseason, too. I did a little digging today. I had a little thought, and I went with it. In the Yankees' nine losses so far this season, the other team has put up the first run of the game seven times, which means that in games that the Yankees have ultimately gone on to lose, they were playing from behind early on. And if you're a percentage person, that is 77% of the games. So you might ask, all right, what about the other two? Okay, in one of them, the Yankees jumped out to a 1-0 lead ahead of the Orioles. I think it was the bottom of the third. Don't quote me on that. But Baltimore came back in the very next frame and put up two runs. Negating that, thus. And then the other one, the Yankees jumped out to another 1-0 lead on the Blue Jays in the top of the first, and that lead was gone by the bottom of the second. Now, when you look at the the games that the Yankees have won, they've jumped out to a lead 60, 60% of the time, and they've continued to ultimately win the game. So, what? okay, what does that say to anybody, right? I figured out all this stuff. What, what does it mean? It means that this team is built to take the lead early, and a majority of the time, never let it go, never relinquish it. Now, how can they do that on a more consistent basis, thus putting up more wins uh, in the win column? Well, there's two suggestions I have. Reconfigure the batting order, for the love of God. 
Gio Urshela in the eight hole hits a 453-foot home run last Sunday. And the Yankees, they beat the Tampa Bay race. I'm trying to calculate in my head. Six days later, they, they moved him up a little bit. He made it all the way up to fifth in the order. Six days later, he's back to eighth. Demoted, back to eighth. Meanwhile, seeing H-I-C-K-S next to the number three every single day makes me want to lose my lunch. Eight for 46 he is, Aaron Hicks. And then there's there's the starting pitching. Let's take out the calculator and and figure out how many more games Garrett Cole has left to start the season because those are going to be wins. The rest of them, well... There isn't a pitcher on this roster that can consistently deliver a W anywhere. Yet, not yet, anyway. And I'm going to be a little critical here. Both of those pieces are controlled by Geppetto, Brian Cashman, who really hasn't been pulling the right strings on the marionette puppet recently. And instead of turning the Yankee Pinocchio into a real boy, it's become a real disaster, honestly. And I happened to notice that Friday's game, a trending topic across the entire United States, was the word Cashman. Someone asked at at Jim and then a bunch of numbers. He said Cashman was given a $200 million payroll and he doesn't have a backup shortstop or a fifth starter. How is that possible? So I started thinking critically to myself, too. Just in the past, I don't know, year or two years, instead of re-signing Masahiro Tanaka... And revamping the starting rotation after that, he opted to let him go and to sign two huge question marks in Kluber and Tyone, both of whom, as we've talked about, they had significant injury concerns. It's a huge gamble on both the two and three. I told you guys that. One would be all right. The Mets went and gambled on, on Taewon Walker. He was a big question mark, too. He's, he's He worked out. But they only had one. There, it was one. Yankees had two huge gambles. How about this? The team has hit 15 home runs in the first 14 games. Not what you want to see from a team that's constructed to win home runs. Left-handed bats, where are they? Brian Cashman told you in the postseason presser all the way back in 2019 that the balance in the lineup is vitally important, but not at the expense, from his perspective, of, of the best player who can hit the other way with power. Well, here we are. Clint Frazier's Bat is benched for Brett Gardner's. Aaron Hicks is nailed to the three spot. I can't watch it anymore. Why? Because he's a switch hitter and he can hit from the left side of the, the, the plate? Come on already. And then the defense. Oh, the defense. The Yankees at this very moment are ranked fifth in the league with 11 defensive errors. And sticking Glaber Torres at shortstop instead of luring Didi Gregorius back in was uh, uh, negligible, I'd say. And that backup first baseman plan is ridiculous. Mike Ford is still two days away from eligibility to come back from the alternate site. And all these post games are like, oh, we need the energy. We need a spark. We need a, we need Luke Voigt to be that for us. Well, where's Derek Diedrich been? This is the second week in a row I'm asking this. Why is he a guy in his ninth MLB season banished to the alternate site? He's got some spark. He's got some fire. And he just so happens to have a fielding percentage at first base of, oh, I don't know, 989 in 88 games. And all of this, all of these Yankee roster moves are handcuffed by Cashman's acquisition of John Carlos Stanton, who 
I am on the record of saying the Yankees did not need him to begin with. And here they are with a $29 million designated hitter. All I'm saying is this. The general manager of the New York Yankees is unlike a Supreme Court justice. There is an expiry date. It is not a lifetime position. And at what point do the Yankees head in a different direction or loosen up their pocketbooks and blow by the luxury tax like the Dodgers have done? And the Dodgers are winning, and the Yankees are not. And, of course, Jacob deGrom gets his first win with the New York Mets today, or Saturday, I should say, Saturday in the first game of the, the doubleheader. If you're a Mets fan, you can exhale. If you're Jacob deGrom, he even cracked a little smile standing in the dugout watching the Mets take the lead that game. So good for him. He is the best, best pitcher in all of baseball. Garrett Cole's a close two. But deGrom, deservingly so, gets some run support finally. And the Mets win the first game. And I don't even think people care that the Mets lost the second game. I think they're just so excited that, that DeGrom got his first win in the first game. So we'll hit the calls, 877-337-6666, and we'll talk some baseball, we'll talk some football, whatever you guys want to do. I'm Danielle McCartan with you on the fan till 6 a.m. This is John Sterling. Listen to Yankees Rays Baseball today on the fan at 105 with Yankees pregame at 1225 driven by Jeep. The game can be heard in its entirety on Sports Radio 66 WFAN AM and streaming on WFAN.com. Now we'll join the Nets and Miami Heat at 320 on Sports Radio 1019 FM and streaming on WFAN2.com. Welcome back to McCartan After Midnight. I want to get right back to your calls in a second. 877-337-6666. But before I do that, I've got two good tweets that came in on that little pause there. First one, oop, I just saw, okay, come from uh, at Boricua Mafia. He said, uh, at Coach McCartan, first time listening to you, I have to say you are right on with Nemo in Italian, that's how you say it, or Nemo. He's been a great leadoff hitter and has improved so much. I am glad he's a starter. The Mets tend to put the vets in and leave the younger guys sitting on the bench as fill-ins, and they are not doing it now. So I wrote back to him, just wait. You just wait, everybody. You heard it here. I tweeted it a week ago. You just wait until Brandon Nimmo stuns the opposition with a continuous walk in a big spot. I'm picturing in my mind, runner on third, Bottom of the seventh in the in the extra innings frame, Brandon Nimmo does a continuous walk, right? Because he it wouldn't be a giveaway because he hustles all the time, which is totally a breath of fresh air. And he just continues past first base on his way to second, gets himself in a rundown long enough for the run to score. Mets win the game. You watch. You wait for it. I want you to call me when it happens. Tweet me when it happens. I'm telling you. And I got another one from at Kaz. And then a bunch of numbers. He said, New York Yankee players, we, we talked about this earlier. He said, you not, New York Yankee players do not appear to play with passion. They always seem to have the attitude like, no worries. We are the greatest. It will happen next inning and definitely need more pitching. So we talked about this earlier too. Um, I forget. I should have looked it up. There was like a player or a coach somewhere along the line that said, um, and I used this line at my, my banquet dinner speeches. Um, I used it for my softball team actually one year that, and I use it in a joking manner, that the, that the teams take on the personality of their manager and or coach, whatever it is. And it's not a good look for the Yankees because they seem to have taken on the laissez-faire, hands-off, 
you know, we're good enough, eventually it'll happen sort of attitude that Aaron Boone has had. And I think that statement is true because then you look at the Knicks and, and Tom Thibodeau and how he is and how his team reacts with him. Robert Sala is going to be another one to watch, how the Jets respond with him. So I think that's a pretty fair assessment. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. But two good tweets that are coming in. If you can't get through, it's 877-337-6666 is the phone number. Or, you know, if you keep getting a busy signal, it's at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. Okay, back in the order that you guys called, Andre in the Bronx. Thanks for hanging on through the interview. What's up? This is ridiculous. This happens every week. Yeah, this is just... This is just ridiculous. It's just pranksters. It's just rude. It's just freaking rude, man. Terry and Aminia, you're up on the fan. Do you know you know what it is? Oh. Terry, one second. I'm sorry, but that just bothers me because people are trying to get through and that moron's clogging up a line. That's what that, that bothers me. I'm sorry, Terry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Buona mattina, imperatrice. <laughs> Grazie. Buona mattina. Uh, thank you. Before I go to my two observations I want to make, I just want to say that one of the joys of your broadcast, it's a reunion of all of the callers to Tony Page. People like Ben from Queens, mm-hmm. Mike Stewart from Brooklyn, Eric from Wonkonkoma. It's such a joy to hear those voices. It's wonderful. Now, two things. As you know, I'm not young. I'm 72, going on 73. And April is always the same when it comes to baseball. I call it April anxiety. <laughs> I like people the are going, People go into panic mode with only 14 games out of 162 having been played. If it's this disastrous at the end of May, then we can panic. That's just my personal attitude. But I do enjoy, the, if you will, the studies in winology that one hears. You know, all of the people who are so pessimistic about it. The ship has just basically left the pier, <laughs> left the dock. I know. Terry, I know, so, I, I know what you're saying, and thanks for the color. Yeah. I know what you're saying, but there are themes that concern me if I were a Yankee fan. The inability to hit with runners in scoring position has been not just a problem through the 14 games so far this year. It was a problem in the postseason, and it was a problem last year as well. That is a problem for me if I'm a Yankee fan or the Yankees themselves. The other problem is the starting pitching questions. I mean, the, the amount of pressure that Garrett Cole is is under to win, to put up a stellar performance every t- single time he takes the mound, it's mounting. Because can you imagine the day he loses a game? It's going to be it's gonna be a mutiny. You know what I'm saying? So um, those are two themes that could navigate this season. And that's why I'm concerned. And I'm concerned about the rigidity of this batting order that doesn't ever seem to really get shuffled up really much at all. I mean, how many times do we have to see Aaron Hicks marched out there in the three in, in the three hole? Guys batting like 167 on the season. One of them was a bunt, by the way, bunt single. Hey, come on. 
All right, back in the order that you guys called. Marty in Westchester, you're up on the fan. Yes, good morning, Danielle. Um, I did enjoy the interview you just conducted regarding the um, NFL draft coming up yeah, uh, a week you. from Thursday. Uh, big Giant fan. Uh, I do agree that if uh, a good wide receiver is there at number 11, mm -hmm. uh, specifically Waddle, I think the Giants will jump at him. Yes. But what I got from the interview is that uh, it appears that if there's a lot of depth um, with the offensive line coming up. So I think it's very important that the Giants do try to improve the offensive line, maybe get an offensive uh, guard, a tackle mm -hmm. uh, in the second or third round because it's going to be very important to keep Daniel Jones upright this year. Too many times last year he was under the gun, he was under duress, and um, it does appear the Giants are going to have improved weapons this year and also, of course, with the Saquon coming back healthy, but he needs to stay upright. So offensive line to me is a very important uh, part of the team that needs to be improved. Yeah, Marty, that was another thing I took away because I didn't realize how deep the offensive line class seems to be in this draft. So, uh, you know, for me, I I'd like maybe going in third round for an uh, for a guard or something like that. That's what I got from John Schmelt. Right, and also hopefully improvement from – Andrew Thomas, last year's number one draft choice, he seemed to get better as the year progressed. Yeah, he's got to make so, a big the sophomore yeah. jump, whatever it is. He, he's got to make a big jump. I'm with you on that. And, Marty, thanks for the right. call there. Let's go Giants, right, on that one. Hey, uh, Andre, in the Bronx, you're up on the fan. Yeah, how you doing? Um, I want to know if we could buy out John Carlos Stan. You know, because in the NBA, you know, you buy these guys out because he's never going to be, you know, he's, I, I, it's not going to work with him. And then, you know, what's, what's up with Miguel Andahar? Is he ever going to, you know, like be a Yankee again? <laughs> well, Andre, all right, two questions there. Number one, um, Miguel Andujar, he's still injured. He's close to returning. Um, I think he would be eligible. I, I thought I saw he'd be eligible, I think, Sunday. I think today, I think. Don't quote me on that, but I thought I remember reading that. And then Giancarlo Stanton, you know, as I was getting ready to come here, uh, you know, I guess it's last night at this point, I was brushing my teeth, and I thought of – because I was watching the Met game, and, and I was really reflecting on the fact that how they traded Nolan Arenado, the Rockies, how the Rockies traded Nolan Arenado to the St. Louis Cardinals and sent $50 million to them. If the Yankees wanted to pull something off like that, I mean, they're locked in with him, right? So if they wanted to try to pull something off like that, that would be the best-case scenario for me. Um, because John Carlos Stanton is the one handcuffing all of their moves to stay underneath the luxury tax. This this um, this rule that Hal Steimer, Steinbrenner put on them, I, don't, I just don't see them doing it. I mean, I think the way that they speak of him, it's like he's a volcano that can erupt at any point in time, right? And they they just want to live and die with him. And to be fair, he had an excellent postseason uh, last season. It's the anomaly, sure, but he had an excellent postseason so no I don't think I, I don't think so but it, it's not like an NBA sort of buyout I don't think I wouldn't care categorize it as that it's like a trade with sending part of the salary in the trade if that makes sense um, but no I don't think the Yankees are doing that uh, Belmore Mari you're up on the fan good morning coach how are you I'm great how are you Great, it's a great, great show as usual. Well, you know, you. <clears throat> I want to stick with the Yankee topic. Sure. I think there's three things, and what you just said is a great point. First off, I think what Cashman did 
by letting Tanaka go and going with sort of the guys that have been injured for a while was a mistake, but I think he was handcuffed by the luxury tax. Uh-huh. So I, I'll, I'll let him get a pass, but he's made mistakes this year. Stanton is an albatross that's hurting not only the, the flexibility of the lineup, uh, <clears throat> it's hurting all the decisions or the ancillary decisions of maybe having two shortstops or two first basemen right. because you don't have that DH spot. And then last but not least, I think it's time, and I hate to say it, it's a little too early, but really looking at Boone and the way he handles these players, he's, he's too much of a player coach. Yep. <clears throat> I think he needs to separate himself and put some – I don't think they believe in the fire when he, when he maybe speaks a little bit louder where a buck show Walter – or somebody that's old school might get to these kids. Or how about Maury, how swinging. about how about a Joe Girardi who they let go in favor yep. of Aaron Boone? All you had to do was hold on to him a few more years. DD would have still been here as yes. well. You would have that flexibility. And then, last but not least, what gets to me, what gets to me the most is the what, what the garbage they're swinging at. I, I've never seen such a the, the the swinging of these outside pitches, low pitches. They're getting fooled. Yep. I don't know what but that's not new. I've never seen so sloppy. It's sloppy. I know, it's but Maury, it's not new. It's That's where you strike Ooh. out John Carlos Stan. That's where you strike out Aaron Judge. It's not a secret, you know? And and it's it's crazy. You play these youngsters, and they come out one fireball after another, one fireball. And I have no confidence in the in the, in the the bullpen. I have no confidence in the pitcher besides Cole. What, what have we built? What have we built here? We are what we are. We are what our record shows because that's how we're performing, and that's the way Cashman has set this up. It's first guy, maybe a, always a win. The rest is a let's flip a coin. That's not the way to go into a new season at all. Well, and and, and Maury, thanks for the call. That's a good call there. So what, they are what they are. They, they're a $200 million team with it's the second highest payroll, I believe, in the entire league. And it's not constructed the right way. And when you say Aaron Boone is a, a player's manager, yeah, I agree with you. And the irony is that they got rid of Joe Girardi because he wasn't a player's manager. And here they are at the other end of the swing, swing the pendulum to the other end of the spectrum here. And this is what you got. So Nick and I were talking. I mentioned it before how Aaron Boone earlier Saturday, he, he made the motion uh, to, to Brett Gardner to, to bang the – the bat on the top of the dugout. I'm doing it with my hands. You know what I'm talking about. When he went crazy with the, which I thought was embarrassing, by the way, that whole thing, let Brett bang. It's embarrassing, actually. But Aaron Boone tried to get him to do it in the game today. And I thought, like, one that's, and he was, like, kind of, like, laughing, smirking Boone was. Like, ooh, do it, do it. Like, like they're buddies. You should see the way Aaron Boone looks at, I've watched him. Aaron Boone looks at Brett Gardner in the in the batter's circle. I was like, what's going on here? Nick caught something. He said something on the break, and he's like, Danielle, did you see when? And I was like, yes, I forgot to mention it. Tell him, Nick. Yeah, it looked like um, they were pointing to Boone that the camera was on him, and then and then he, like, I guess, stopped what he was doing. Yeah. But at first, he didn't notice it. Exactly. So when he was motioning for Brett Gardner to bang on the ceiling, the camera was on him, and he didn't know, and he didn't realize it. And then when they saw it filming, he backed off a little bit. I wonder what goes on behind closed doors. I wonder if there's a Machiavellian quote from Machiavelli, Italian writer. Um, I would love to read the whole thing, but, you know, the whole work that he did. But he, it, it's called The Prince, Il Principe. And it, there's a question in it in terms of leadership. Would you, is it better to be feared than loved? Or would you rather be feared than loved? And there's obviously 
advantages and disadvantages to both. And for me, I, I would always, how I am in the classroom and everything, I, I just toe the middle of, of that. Feared and loved. I think that's also from uh, the Bronx Tale. Or maybe they got that. I'm sure from... Machiavelli is like a Renaissance yeah, writer. Yeah, they mentioned that in the Bronx Tale. <laughs> well, that's so, where they got it from. Yeah, yeah sure. So I always like to, to be in the middle ground there. In, in a lot of things in life, I'm really in the middle ground. Um, and it's not being feared, I feel. I think that's a bad word. I think it's being respected. And I'm not sure um, the level of respect that Aaron Boone is garnering as opposed to the the amount of love that he's garnering, if that makes sense. Does it? I hope that makes sense. Um, but I just think that he is too embraced by the players and, and like he's one of them. He's got the uniform on like he like he wants to be one of them. And that's, to me, that's that's a bad position to be in if you're a coach or a manager. So, um, you know what? Do you guys remember when Wayne Corbett had his own cereal? I think I still have a box of that somewhere. Well, there's another NFL player venturing into the business of cereal. Maybe you're eating yours right now. Who is it? I will fill you in after the break. Hey, it's Boomer and Geo. Join us tomorrow morning. We've got baseball, basketball, and is Boomer still alive after attempting to do 60 miles on his bike? I guess we'll find out Monday morning. And by the way, do you think the Mets will go skiing in between games? Boomer and Geo, 6 to 10 a.m. with the warm-up show starting at 5. Right here on The Fan. Let's go. This is the final chance to get aboard 877-337-6666. I see you guys right there. If you can't get through, it's at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. I was just trying to look for the um, that quote about the players taking on the uh, personality of the, the coach. I can't find who said it, uh, but I will get, I'll get that to you. I'll tweet it to you. So I teased which NFL players is venturing into the business of cereal. Cleveland Browns running back Nick Chubb is launching his own cereal brand, and he's calling it, and this is no joke, Chubb Crunch. Not sure that sounds too appetizing to me, but what do I know? But speaking of crunch, Captain Crunch is where it's at. The original, the red box, that is the best cereal ever made, period. Mic drop. Let's go back to the phones. North Brunswick we go. Tom, you're up on the fan. Uh, good morning, Danielle. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you, Tom? I'm doing all right. Remember the Reggie bar? No, <laughs> well, I, mean, uh, I don't. You were you were you yeah. weren't even born. Yeah, I, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> I remember <laughs> talking about throwing things on the field. I remember. Uh, I can't remember the year, but uh, I remember when I Yankee fans threw the Reggie bar on the field. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. But um, you know, real quick, I got a trade for the Yankees. Uh, but uh, I'm 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 happy with the Mets. Uh, I'll be uh, their clutch hitting is a little. Not all that great right now. They, 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 they keep getting runners on base and, uh, you know, they're struggling. But they're 6-4. and four. Uh, DeGrom is, is unbelievable. Yeah, isn't he? You know, I thought he was going to tie Tom Seaver or break his record, yeah. but, you know, he didn't. And uh, There's plenty but, of uh, other opportunities. He will break that record for sure. It's incredible. It's so hard to believe how good he is. I know. And I'm glad that they finally got a win for him. I know. And uh, uh, real quick, Edwin Diaz. Everybody always says how, uh, you know, they don't trust him. I know because two years ago. But people got to remember he's young and he has a tremendous amount of talent. Mm -hmm. So it wouldn't surprise me if he was dominant again. Yeah. uh, And and I think, and this is part of the thing too, I think he pitches better without the pressure 
I can't yeah. explain it. He, the ire of the Mets fans, he, he doesn't do well. He's a very emotional player, and I'm with you. He had electric stuff before he got to the Mets, and, and hopefully he can he can become that again. That, you know, that, that's the biggest thing that I'm looking forward to because that's the most important thing, uh, you know. So maybe, maybe he just uh, had to get adjusted to New York, and uh, so – but real, uh, so, you know, I was disappointed they lost the second game, but they're six and four. They need to beat the Rockies today. I got a trade and I don't know if they can do it. Uh, it's a perfect trade. I'm not saying who they should trade, but, uh, the pitcher on the Rockies, Marquez, mm-hmm. he's a good pitcher. You know, the Rockies aren't going anywhere. And it's a story, Trevor Story for the oh, Yankees. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, cause, uh, he's going to be a free agent, but he'd be a great fit. And, um, you know, they need pitching, and Marquez is a very good pitcher. And uh, Yeah, but who you know, are you sending, though? It's a, it's a trade. Who are well, you sending? Maybe, uh maybe to uh, Frazier. Everybody always and, says uh, Frazier. I know. Everybody always wants to trade Frazier. I'm not all real up on the Yankees, but, uh, you know, they got a good minor league system, so and Colorado is trying to rebuild. So, yeah. But because, you know, Glaber Torres really needs – I think he needs to go back to second base. I think it's getting in his head. Yeah, of course it the, is. Because, he, you know, he's much better than this. I mean, he looked like he was going to be a superstar a couple mm-hmm. of years ago, yep. and he still could be. Yep, and, and Tom, so, it's affecting his hitting now too, and thanks for the call there. Yeah, Trevor Story, he's, uh, he's great, right? Yeah, sure. What are you going to trade to get him? And don't forget – that his contract is expiring, so then you're going to have to sign him. And again, oh, there's that word, luxury tax. So Yankees got to figure it out. I don't know. But Trevor Story, he's a great defensive shortstop. I'm with you on that. And and, and Diaz, what I say, let me just backtrack to that. He does. He did better last year. There were no crowds. Now there's a limited capacity crowd. I don't know. I'd like to see it. But when he said, when you said, Tom, acclimating to New York, um, with Beltran, he was excited because he, he. one of the quotes that he said right when Beltran was originally hired, obviously, and then fired, but he said he was uh, excited to work with somebody that has played in New York and understands the pressure of New York. I'm paraphrasing totally. But, um, yeah, I, I believe that he just needed an adjustment period, and we'll see. We'll see what happens. But today, Saturday, he looked good. He looked really good. Him and DeGrom combined for 17 strikeouts. I think for the first time since 1901, I think they said on the broadcast, that that's been done. 17 strikeouts in a game, I think. Or between two pitchers. I forgot what it was. But, yeah, they did great, the both of them. Let's go to Dobbs Ferry. Sparky, you're up on the fan. Well, how's everything going, Coach? Oh, good. How are you, Sparky? Oh, okay. <laughs> now, as far as Cashman goes, the first thing he's got to do is just forget the luxury tax. Okay? Well, that comes from ownership, though. He can't just blow by it if ownership I know, doesn't I want know. him to. I know I live in Fantasy Island sometimes, so, yeah. you know. But, well, I'm with you, though. Blow but, by it. Go get that championship. I'm with you. Just like yeah. the Dodgers did. Sure. Because, you know, the one thing uh, people got to realize, this year, between now and the trade deadline, is going to be different than any other year. Because you're going to see players get traded who normally in the past never would have got traded because teams can't afford to keep them. Well, pandem- you, know, you know, pandemic effect, you're, you're implying. Yes, I got gotcha. you. You know, I think that's very important. Because let's yeah. face it, I think he could fill a lot of holes. Because there's going to be some really good players out there that you never would have thought of. Well, well I mean, we'll, we'll have to wait until we get to the trade deadline just to, to see that. But um, they have to do something, Sparky. They, they have to do something. They cannot. They're, they're not going to win a World Series with the way this roster is con- constructed oh, right now. Coach. Just, oh, coach, there's no way. They no. can't win. With, and, and the thing is, you more than anybody being a teacher, you would learn from a lesson from stuff that happened in the past. 
I mean, my God, they lost in the playoffs the last four years because they don't hit in the clutch, right. and they did nothing about it. Right. But, you know, now when you when, when I mean, first of all, with Boone, uh, the thing with Hicks is remarkable. I mean, the guy just isn't a major league hitter. I mean, there's no... Not in the three spot. Anyway. And the thing is, I have nothing against Boone personally, but it... It, it's sad, though, but in a way, it really is time for him to be moved because he's lost his team. I mean, he seems more like concerned about being buddy-buddy with the team, and these guys just aren't ready to play a lot of times, it looks like. Yeah, they look, Sparky, they look very, very unprepared. Um, they're swinging at pitches. They, they are no longer savages in the box, we'll say. Yeah, it, they just look they just look unprepared, and they just looked, more more so than unprepared, they just look, not ready to play. They look. I used the the song last week. Dirk Bentley, Flatliner. That's what they look like to me too. I get it. I know. Eddie in Rockland, you're up on next on the fan. Hey Danny, like I said, you're the best on the station. So keep it going. Oh, thank you. Uh, you know, on the Giants, I got them. I want them trading down. I want the. I want an offensive guard, a center, and a and the Penn State tight end. But my question to you is. Yeah. Is Gettleman right? Mm-hmm. This is do or die for him. Yeah, if he doesn't make something happen. If they go seven and seven and ten, it's a seventeen game season now. He's gone. If Barkley doesn't look great, he might be gone too. And if Daniel Jones doesn't look great, it might be a reset at him too. My question is to you: Is Barkley? You know, every I, I was never a big fan of Barkley. Okay, and now with the injury, I mm-hmm. want to throw some numbers at you. Mm-hmm. Okay, from the opponents. 49 to 20, he's 56 for 147 yards, averaging 2.6. Mm-hmm. From the red zone in, he's 47 of 85 yards, 1.8 yards. Mm-hmm. From the one from the 10 yard line to the opponent's uh, end zone, he's 30 for 44, averaging 1.5 yards. Mm-hmm. And that's what I saw. I saw a guy when it was time to get it done, mm-hmm. getting one and a half to two yards a carry when he was a hundred percent. Yeah, Eddie. Two things on that. I'm going to hang up so you can just hear the answer here. So, two things on that. Uh, great. First of all, I love how you did your homework. That's first. Um, I love that. Two. Um, how much of that is dependent upon the offensive line, which we have said on here hundreds of times was not up to par. That's that's the one thing I will say. And then the other thing I will say is this. He got away from running north-south. He started running east-west, trying to bounce, make things, and he got clobbered. So I would like to see, yeah, this is a year that he's got to get those totals up. He, he has to get those averages up. He's got to run the power back that he is. He's got to, He's not a finesse back. He's a big dude. He's a power back, and he's got to, they have to coach him up to be that way. Because if he's running east-west, it's no good. And if they bolster the offensive line, that's another part of the story, too. So um, this year would be the year to make a decision on Barkley. Uh, yes, I'm with you. I would give Jones one more year because he, he he's not a free agent until 2023. or T, uh, I'm sorry, the team option, not till 2023. He's got one more year, I think. Uh, but Gettleman, this might be the year for Gettleman, too. But I'm keeping him. Look what he did with the defense. We could talk. We've talked before. Bradbury. Martinez, he brought in all those guys. Free agency, might be he might be bringing in and signing um, McCordy, Jason McCordy. Cordy's here this weekend visiting with the Giants. So free agency, 
great draft. I would like to see another draft with, with him and uh, Joe Judge and see what happens. Because in Joe Judge, if you're a Giant fan, you absolutely trust. Joe and Linden, you're up on the fan. Hey, good morning, Coach. Hope you're doing well. I'm good, Joe. What I see with, what I see with the Yankees is uh, there's no plate discipline. And, like, they don't have a plan when they're going up to the plate. Yeah, doesn't and it sound like that? Everybody... Yep. Everybody could talk about how bad Stanton is, and it's the truth. It's not a lie. I I don't think he goes up to the plate with a plan. And he, in my opinion, I don't think he knows. I don't think he can hit major league pitching now. Well, I mean, come on, come on. He does. I, he does mash. He does. But I, I might agree with you in the sense that he just goes up there, and he just swings that short arm looking swing. And if he gets a hold of it, he gets a hold of it. If he not, he walks back to the dugout with a strikeout, and it's not a big deal. Yeah, I think I might have even seen him close his eyes a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that might help him. Maybe he should start closing yeah. his eyes. Who can't knows? hurt. I know. Right? Can't, hurt. can't hurt. Shake it up. Do something different, Yankees. Please. Joe, yeah. I'm, I'm with you. But the fact that he's not an MLB hitter, I mean, come on. Come on already. He definitely is an MLB hitter. <laughs> Without a plan, seemingly. Uh, Riverside, New York, we go. Ali, you're up on the fan. Good morning, Danielle. How are you? Just want to say it's a pleasure on my commute to work because I listen to you every Sunday. Oh, thank you. Uh, you have a big fan base over on Amsterdam and 76th Street. Just want to let you know on the hey. upper west side. All right. So, so just uh, I want to make a statement and then I got a question. The statement is I, I still can't understand how a manager leads in, uh, in, uh, a team to an ALCS Game 7 and then doesn't have a job the next year. Thank you. I know. You're talking Girardi, and right? I got a question. So I'm watching the Met game yesterday, mm-hmm. and the Grom gave up a solo home run. And then when I checked the stat sheet, he wasn't, he didn't get the earned run. He he, he gave gave up no runs yesterday. They said no, he gave up, you know, three. They gave up three runs yesterday, but the Grom didn't give up any runs. But I saw him give up a, a solo home run. What? Why? Why? Why wasn't he earned that run? Why didn't he get charged that run? Yeah, you know, I'm not sure. It's a really good question. I, I don't know the answer to that question. I think I think it's because uh, you know he's been. They, they give him no run support. They just major league baseball gave him a bone, right? What you think? <laughs> I mean, maybe. I mean, yeah, it was a home run. It did go over the fence. Yeah, you're right. I don't know. Hey, hey I'll, before I let you go, Amsterdam in '76 yes. is that like a firehouse or something? No, I'd rather not say what it is. Just know that you're loved and respected by, by the crew over there. Oh, okay. Well, maybe a PBA card got to find in my mailbox here? <laughs> no, no, it's not one of those. <laughs> Listen, you can go Google it and, I will. You'll, and you'll get a list. I definitely will Google it. I'm sure. <laughs> right, thanks, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Is he going to close us out? Is he the Mariano Rivera of the night? Nick's giving me the yes. Yeah. All right. Um. So Listen. My message to Yankees fans and to Mets fans. My parting, my parting message until, you know, next week. And to ba- first, I'll take baseball fans. Let me tell you something. Friday night, we were having the analytics debate before. Tampa Bay scored what was it, three or or four runs off of these bloop singles, ends of the bat sort of hits, seeing eye hits. Not one of them had an exit velo higher than seventy-seven miles per hour. In fact, that was the outlier. I think the other ones were, one was 67, I think one was 71, and one was 73 miles per hour were the other ones. So um, it doesn't have to be hit at 115 miles an hour in order to be successful. Seeing eye hits are good. 
And that would be my advice to the Yankees. You don't have to crush the casing off the ball. And for the Mets, you know what? Open up a bottle of champagne. You got to win for Jacob deGrom, everybody. Good for them. I'm so happy for them. And next week, I hope that we can have a complete discussion of the NFL draft because I think that might be my last time on with you guys before the draft happens. So at 440, good friend of the show. If you guys want to go back on the odyssey.com rewind feature, 440 was John Schmelk. Giants football comprehensive review of the um, the offseason acquisitions, and we formulated a 2021 draft plan for Big Blue. And while you're there, do you want to just go back to 2 a.m., listen to the whole thing while you're at it? Nick, great job tonight, as always, working hard, answering phones, everything. You had it all under control tonight, and Seth Cantor on the updates. I will see you guys next week, same time, same place, here on The Fan. Sports Radio 101.9 FM.